1: to the mailbag Ryan has some really good questions today about a lot of different topics timeout Tom says I grew tired of the constant complaints of Notre Dame's weak schedule but over the BK years the schedule did seem to get weaker was it a coincidence or was it a purposeful and arranged at Jack Swarbrick or BK's request I'm going to speak to this first Ryan and you let me know if you have some more you want to add it was partly not in their control I think Notre Dame did the right thing in softening their schedule to make it more reasonable. I don't think they intended for their schedule to be soft the way that it has turned out to be. And the reason it's been soft is in recent years, Stanford and USC have have bottomed out. In 2017, they played eight ranked teams that year. Well, part of that was because Stanford was a nine-win team that year and USC was an 11-win team that year right and and so that helped them but like in 2019 Notre Dame went 1 and 2 against ranked opponents they beat Navy lost to Georgia and Michigan Stanford and USC didn't finish ranked 2021 Stanford and USC both had losing records 10 years ago early I mean even in the early 2010s even though USC was a bit inconsistent they were still at worst an 8 and 5 9 and 4 type of team and then they had a couple really good 10 you know Lane Kiffin wasn't you know for all the the crap that Lane Kiffin took he was still a way better coach than Clay Helton during his USC period. I mean, he had a, I think, what, two 10 win seasons at USC, correct? Yeah, no, I mean he got fired. They were three and two. Yes, he had one 10 win season. He went eight and five, ten and two, seven and six, and then he went three and two. And that year that he went three and two, they still finished 10 and 4. Yeah. And then of course, Sark comes in the next year and they go nine and four the next year. They go eight and six the next year, which was a rough year. They lost a lot of close games, but then they broke back out in 16 and, and, and went 10 and three. And then in 2017, they went 11 and three. So their down years were like a couple seven and six and eight and six seasons. Those were sandwiched, sandwiched around nine, 10, 11 win seasons. Well, under Clay Helton, the, roof, the the bottom fell out in recent seasons. You know, I mean, they the last few years, they went five and seven, eight and five, five and one during a COVID
2: year. And then last year, they were four and eight.
1: So who I think could, U.S.
2: Who, who could have predicted that it would have been bad under Clay Helton? I know,
1: right? Shocker. Uh, yeah. And then Stanford's been just bad, yeah. and so I think those two things have really hurt Notre Dame, and I think the ACC kind of fallen off a cliff. Because if you look at last year's schedule, if you if I'd have told if if six seven years ago, like if in 2015, I would have told you in 2021 Notre Dame is going to start the season off against a road with a road game against Florida State. They're going to play Wisconsin on a neutral field in Chicago. They're going to have USC. They're going to have Stanford. You'd be like, man, like, do they hate their do they hate Brian Kelly? Oh, and you got Cincinnati at home on that schedule, too. Like, do you guys hate your coach? Are you trying to get him fired? Like, that's what you would have thought, like, you know, 13, 14, 15, because Wisconsin was 10 plus wins every year. Florida State was two years away from having won a national championship and then a playoff yeah. appearance, right? I mean, you'd have been like, man. Like, you guys are, you know, USC was coming off of a couple really good seasons. Y- you'd have thought, boy, this this is going to be a brutal schedule. Yeah. And then you look at it, and it turns out not to be that way. So I think the ACC really bottoming out, and COVID, and then USC, Stanford. And the reason I say COVID is because the 2020 schedule was going to be a lot tougher, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wisconsin was going to be pretty good that year, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had – you had still had Florida State on your schedule who wasn't that good. You had USC, and USC was better in 2020 than they were in 2021, right? I mean, they were – they were 5-1, but they weren't that good. But they would have been a winning team that year. So I think you had Arkansas, you know, would, would at least been tough, you know, been physical, whatever. But, I mean, that schedule would have been tougher than what it turned out to be. It turned out to be Clemson and a bunch of nothing, if we're being yeah. honest about that season. Uh, what, North Carolina at 8-4 was your second best team. That would not have been the case if – They, if it wasn't for COVID because Wake Forest was pretty good in 2020 and that game kept kept getting canceled and they would have been on Notre Dame's schedule as well so I think those are the things that have factored into it is an intentional softening coupled with the ACC going down and USC and Stanford being pretty bad the last five, six years I think are the reasons why I don't think it was intentional. hey, let's make it soft let's make it weak so I can pad my stats I think that was a benefit to it but I don't think that was Jack Swarbrick's intention. No, you know, um, and, I just I don't.
2: That's that's some of the dangers of like scheduling so far out, right. too, right? It's just like right. you, you. I mean, you can't predict the future at that point. Right. I mean, like you said, a lot of those teams were they look they were either riding good momentum or they looked like they were about to take a step forward again, and right. you know, just some of it has just not worked out. Unfortunately, a lot of it has not worked out, right. but that's not Notre Dame's right. fault necessarily. That just is a right.
1: you're a
2: victim of circumstance at that point, right? So.
1: Yeah. agree. It, Cause like, I mean, you know, you could look at, you could look at Notre Dame's 2009, 2019 so i like, wow, you guys got to play Alabama in 2029, you know? Oh, wow. 2030. You guys got to play, you guys got to play at Alabama. I have no idea what Alabama is going to look like in 2030. I don't know what I'm going to look like in 2030. I don't, you know, much less who, who's no, I don't know if anyone associated with the program right now is going to be with either team in 2030. You know, so, just like in 2013, we'd have looked at the 2021 start to the season, and you got to start at Florida State. Oh, <laughs> good luck with that. You know, but then of course, when you get to it, they're just not good. So, and it, 20... I, right, that's why I hate this. I mean, your schedule just filled for five, six years in advance. I'm not a big yes. fan of
2: that. I'm not a big T- fan of that. 2030, I'm going to look exactly the same. That's all I can say.
1: <laughs> you have a one year old girl. Same, same I can assure hair, huh? you. I can assure you you are not going to look the same in oh, I'm 2 look years.
2: exactly the same. You are no no no. It's not going to happen. i well, not going nice to a nice thing is, of time, sir. This
1: is a saved recorded podcast that I will be able to look back on in 10 years and be like, "Hey Ryan, you remember when uh, you said you'd look the same? Uh, let's look let's re- let's, I'm, let's I'm, revisit I'm, that."
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
1: uh is anybody else a little surprised that Rocco isn't further along I know people develop at different rates but I thought he would be uh ready to play in his second year am I expecting too much I think so mm-hmm. I think so Ryan what I know you weren't super high on Rocco coming out so just wh- where are you right now and then also the fact that you gotta remind- remember he's got a sixth year senior and a mm-hmm. fifth year team captain projected as a potential first round pick ahead of him as well right
2: as yeah I mean there's definitely some circumstance it's not like he's Competing against nobody, right? But right. I I would say this, and this was my opinion on Rocco coming out. I thought Rocco Spindler was a good player, but Brian, I know we talk about the fact that offensive line evaluations from high school mm-hmm. can get tough sometimes because some guys are just physically more mature at a certain age and they're more dominant. And I mean, when I saw Rocco Spindler's highlight tape, I was like, wow, well, that dude is bullying people, you know? Mm-hmm. But you didn't see a ton of like working in space, working right. laterally, you just saw kind of the physicality. You, place you saw the place. wrestling
1: background is what you saw,
2: which is great. I mean, that that's very well needed, but I think that the transition that you're finding is tough for Rocco is I'm not sure that he's a great athlete. I think he's a very tough football player. I think he's got a lot of physicality, but you need a little bit more than that to transition properly to the college level. So it's not, I mean, like we're not jumping off and saying like Rocco was not going to be a good football player at Notre Dame. I mean, he's a Richard freshman, right? So like, he's got plenty of time. The Mm -hmm. fact of the matter is, is that there's from a flexibility foot quickness perspective, I think there just needs to be kind of a, there needs to be a, a a mission for Rocco Spindler here Mm -hmm. moving forward to get more efficient in those areas. If he can, he can play football. And I think he can play good football for Notre Dame. It's just, I think he's one of those kids that was just maybe a little more physically advanced at an age, but maybe the upside isn't tremendous. So we'll see.
1: USMA87, there's been some talk about Tyler Buckner's throwing motion. To me, it looks like his release is low. What is your assessment? How will it impact Reese's playbook? Number one, that is one of the most useless things that people in the media try talking about all the time is people throwing motions. And I'll never understand it. And my whole thing is, is I don't care what a guy's motion looks like as long as it gets where it needs to get to. Yes. Uh, Tyler is always going to be a from-the-ear guy. He was that way in high school. As he's tinkered with it, he stayed that way. Uh, he's always going to be that kind of guy. The other thing is Tyler is will change his arm angle, and that's something Notre Dame practices with him. Uh, they work on that, and they need to work on that. You can't be an RPO team if your quarterback, if quarterback, you unless you have a 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six quarterback if your quarterback can't change arm angles so i um for me ryan i it doesn't bother me uh I, no. I as long as he's accurate with it i don't care what a stone motion looks like i would never ever 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 teach a quarterback how to throw like philip rivers i would also never teach philip rivers to change his stone motion right? right i mean that's just that's the reality of it so uh how does it affect, impact
2: his playbook to me it doesn't at all it doesn't impact would, it at all why would it i mean i i, I agree with you i i think it's Again, and you use the, it's like you're in my mind sometimes, but I was going to bring up Philip Rivers as like the prime example, right? Like he looked like he was a shot putter. Like you don't want to ever look like that when you're in your throwing motion, but to your point, and I cannot agree more with it. As long as it gets from point A to point B in a good amount of time with some sort of, you know, urgency to, to get in the football there. I don't care about what an arm. I don't care what the arm angle is. I don't care what the release point is. I care that it gets there efficiently and effectively. so yeah, I, I would not change it and I mean my, my question would be more to this, to this question is why would it change something in Tommy Reese's playbook? I don't right. understand quite the only way that like because it's not the, it's not the fact of like and motion like if Tyler Buckner, for instance, had a below average arm for instance, right and he wasn't able to push the ball vertically. Or something, let's say, then that might cut part of the playbook out, right? Because there might be some Mm -hmm. throws that you just can't make, but that's not because of the motion. That's more a deficiency of arm strength. And I don't think that Tyler Buckner has a deficiency of arm strength. I think he just has a somewhat awkward difference release, which okay, I can deal with that. Sure.
1: I think there's also this perception that you know you gotta be tall because you gotta throw over guys. Quarterbacks rarely throw over defensive linemen unless It's a downfield throw, and then your trajectory doesn't matter anyway. Uh, That throwing angles have been a thing for decades. As long as I've been playing quarterback, and my first year playing football was seventh grade, but I studied football and watched football. Quarterbacks don't throw over guys on five yard crossing routes. I don't care if you're six foot nine. Dan McGuire wasn't throwing over guys on crossing routes. If you remember him, Ryan, that's a little blast from the past. Mark McGuire's brother, he was like what, like six eight, six ten, something absurd like that. He was not throwing over guys on a crossing route. He was throwing in a throwing lane. And right. I think that's the kind of perception is that well, you know, he's got low. He's only six one and a half. He's got a low throwing motion. He's gonna get a lot of balls batted down. Yeah, if he's trying to throw over guys on short throws, yes, that's going to happen. Sure. Uh, you know, but it's just, it's not a concern, but that's why he works on the arm angles. That's why Tommy Reese is working with the arm angles. Cause if you do have a guy screaming off the edge and you got to get that little now screen out there, you throw that sucker sideways and get it out there to him. Sure. Uh, if that's what you got to do. And Tyler has shown a proclivity to that. I mean, what were the Sims is working on with Jack Cohn last year and their mm-hmm. summer workouts. You saw them working on trying to get Jack to be able to change his arm angles. I think it was a little too late for Jack to really be able to do that with any effectiveness, Tyler's always been that kind of guy Tommy Reese is trying to create it to where we're going to keep doing what you do but we're going to make it a little bit more consistent and I think right. that's the objective of what they're trying to do
2: so it doesn't and, and, and especially with the arm angle stuff it's look there, there used to be like this big stigma around you know smaller quarterbacks can't play because of the same thing Brian it's like oh they're going to get so many passes batted down that's not a problem for Russell Wilson. It's not really a problem for Kyler Murray either because they can throw from those arm angles. They can find those passing windows, mm-hmm. right? So as long if it's not a problem, don't make it a problem is where mm-hmm. I tend to kind of go with this stuff, right? Like if height isn't an issue, don't make it an issue. If his release point isn't an issue, don't make it an issue. Like that's just kind of mm-hmm. my, my stance is usually like if something's not necessarily a negative on film, I'm not going to make it a negative.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. If something's not a negative on film, I'm not going to make it. Okay, that's beautiful. I'm not.
2: I'm not going to try to fix something. That's no, no. Question. I I think that's
1: perfectly. I love it. I'm just like let us think, Like that's so brilliant. Uh, Jared Rhodes, Brian, and Ryan, with all the good players, no name is getting to commit. What do you, What do we have to look forward that will be noticeably different in games? Is it just size and speed, or a bit more to it than that? I
2: I think that size and sp- well. So Jared, my opinion is, is that you'll be able to see the differences, right? Like you'll see that size and speed, but from a coaching perspective, it's how they're able to better utilize size and speed, right? Because it's like the little nuances. And we just talked about like how much of a playbook is going to be cut if an arm strength isn't great, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to have speed and added size is going to open up a world of possibilities. You might try something schematically That you would have never tried in the past because you did not have the players that could make it properly a tangible thing to try. But I think that that, for me, Brian, is the biggest thing, is that it just allows for more possibilities. When you have added size, you have added speed, you have a higher margin for error at that point. Like, you can try things. That that opens up possibilities, I think, for coaches. So, yes, I think you can see the added size and speed on the field, Jared. But I think more than anything, you're going to see things on the field from a coaching perspective. You're going to be like, huh, that's that's unique. That's a that's a different type of play. That's a different type of formation. I haven't seen that, that, that staple in the offense before. I haven't seen that blitz in the defense before because you now have more possibilities with that increase right. in talent.
1: I think there's other things, too. I think the increase in talent means you have more guys that can wreck games, uh, more guys can take over a game. It doesn't have to be the same guy every time. I think more speed is something we'll see. Uh, you know, um, it's a situation where you know Notre Dame's got some fast guys now. Overall, they got speed and all these other type of things, but I think it'll even be more dynamic speed moving forward. It'll be even more um, difference makers and bigger speed. I think that's the thing. Like, so I think it'll be noticeable when you watch Notre Dame play that they have, because I think there's still spots where Notre Dame doesn't have great speed. Yeah. You know, and, and, and even some of their, their, you know, like J.D. Bertrand's a good athlete. There's that kind of athlete. And then there's a Drake Bowen type of athlete, right? I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm not making excuses for Notre Dame because J.D. Bertrand, when it comes to athleticism, a kid can get it done. But then, yeah. but then there's like another level Of it, Mm -hmm. And then Drake Bowen's like 6'2", 230 right now. Like Drake Bowen is probably as big, if not bigger than J.D. Bertrand is right now. Right. You know, and that's the difference for me. And so um, I think those will be things that you see. More game wreckers, more depth of speed. Uh, And another place I think you're going to see an impact that Ryan is on special teams. I think it's going to make Notre Dame's special teams really dynamic coverage-wise and return-wise.
2: 100%. I I think also for me... I was just working on the mailbag earlier, you know, trying to get it out. And Brian, somebody asked me about who are some players in the 2023 class that I think could be like incredible testers if they make it to like the NFL draft scene. Right. And I was starting to think, I think also the body types of what, excuse me, the coaching staff likes in a certain position is going to change incredibly quickly too. Cause I was even thinking like in a couple of years from now, you could have an interior defensive line, let's say, maybe three years from now, where a 6'4", 290-pound Tyson Ford is next to a 6'5", 300-pound Brennan Vernon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think the body types right. are also of what? I
1: think that's a good one, so, has, just size. Yeah, yes. length. Because the D-line right now is a little un, – it's undersized. It is. Sure, sure. Now, I think they can compensate for it, but I think that's a great point because what you're going to see moving forward is – Notre Dame will not lose anything athletically with mm-hmm. Bubakar and with Tyson Ford and Dan Golbira and Keon Keeley and Brennan Vernon and Devin Houston and all those guys. They won't lose a thing athletically. Brandon Davis-Swain is 6'4". You won't lose a thing athletically. But now you're going to have that in 6'4", 6'5", and 6'6", guys with long arms that are weighing nice. 275, 285, 295. You're going to see a lot more Foskies and Mills's than Howard Crosses and Jacob Lacy's and Jason Adamiola's. again, okay, yeah. excellent players, but it's excellent players that are now six four three oh five, as opposed to six three, you know six two two eighty. Or six one two sixty 265, 275. That's the difference.
2: Yeah. And, and that's where I was going with it. It's like you have three guys as your top three defensive tackles right now who are all between six foot and 6'3, somewhere in that ballpark, and 265 ish to like 285, right? Like that's mm-hmm. your interior defensive line. I think in just three years, you're going to be like, oh, wow, now we have 6'4", 6'5", 6'5", 285", 295", 300. Like, I think the body types for me is just what's going to completely change. So you're going to be looking at a completely different um, a completely different prototype at different positions mm-hmm. because, I mean, I was even thinking – I mean, think about this, Brian. Like, I was, I was talking about, like, who I thought could be an elite tester, and then I was like, one player that might be a surprise that's on this list is Brendan Vernon right. because Brendan Vernon at defensive end is a good athlete But what if he's a three tech eventually? Then we're talking about Mm -hmm. him being an elite athlete inside, right? right. And I think that's where the game is going. But I also think that's where Notre Dame is following in that suit, too, is that's what Mm -hmm. they want. That's why we keep preaching. They want to be longer. They want to be more athletic everywhere. And that's Mm -hmm. why. That's where this game is going for Notre Dame, in my opinion.
1: Yep. I love it. Alan Watson with a super chat – or not super chat, but with a question. Alan said, hey, Ryan and Brian, question of the day. Who scores the first offensive and defensive touchdowns this year? Hopefully they both come early and often at Ohio State.
2: First offensive and first defensive touchdowns this year. I'm going to say – someone said yesterday on the show, I think it was Brandon may have been, that said that he sees – Brandon Joseph getting an interception in that first game. So I'm going to say mm-hmm. it's Brandon Joseph. Pick On six, defense? Brandon defense, okay. Oh, yeah. That's the first defensive okay. touchdown this year. I don't know who it's going to come against. Hopefully Ohio State. We'll see. Yeah, First first offensive touchdown. I'm going to go with Tyler Buckner. I, I'm going to go with Tyler Buckner keeps it for a touchdown, the first offensive touchdown of the year. So I'll go Buckner and Brandon Joseph, first offensive and defensive touchdowns this year.
1: I'm going to go defensively. I mean, I, I, I'm going to go with Marist. And, and and I'll explain why in a second. There's a a response by Mace A.K. that I want to address of why I'm going with Marist. And and it's relative to Ohio State. Not that it's going to be Marist, but I think what I think the first defensive touchdown would look like. Offensively, I'm I'm really going to go with Chris Tyree. And and that's more of a hope than it is a prediction. Because if Chris Tyree is the first guy to score on offense this year, that means he ripped off a big one against Ohio State. Right? Like Chris Tyree's not going to score from the two. It's either going to be Estimate, Diggs, or Buckner from the two, right? It's going to be if Chris scores, it's because he went, he housed it. And that would be a, like, it would remind me, and I've said this before, I would love to see Notre Dame on its first drive or two, especially if it's its first drive, kind of due to Ohio State what they did to Oklahoma in 2012. You remember that when, like, Sierra just went right up the middle for like a 50 yard touchdown non top non stopped? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, that would be a big momentum. That would be a big thing, because if you can rip off a big run and now force Ohio State to say, hey, we better put a little bit more in the box, now yeah. all of a sudden you can open up some stuff over the top and on the perimeter. I think that would be huge. So that's more of a wish than it is anything. Mace K followed up. He said, to be honest, instead of a pick six, I want to see a strip sack and a fumble return for a TD I want Stroud running for his life because it was referring to like the Oklahoma state game. I think what it would be is, is in my opinion, it might be something like we saw against Georgia tech last year, you know, where it was a pick six, like Jack Kaiser had a pick six against Georgia tech or was it Navy It was Georgia tech, but the pick six came on a play where I think it was Isaiah Foskey was drilling the quarterback. You know, like I could see something like that where, you know, Stroud tries to quickly, he's getting hammered and, and tries to get rid of it. I think, that kind of thing would even be more impactful because that kind of play, he saw it coming, Uh right? I want a quarterback seeing it coming and then rushes into a mistake. Because I think those kind of – and the reason I say that is as a quarterback, those type of mistakes can hurt you more than a strip sack. Strip sacks are kind of rare. They don't happen, dang it, I didn't see it coming, we got you next time. The ones that I think are when you're in a quarterback's head – is when he sees it's coming and he just he's trying to I don't want the ball in my hand because Foskey's coming again, and so it's something like where he's about to get drilled by Foskey or Adam Yole or Riley Mills and he just kind of like oh throws it quickly and then Maris is there to pick it off run it back. That's mm-hmm. how I kind of see that kind of going, uh, that kind of thing. Or the other one is I have visions in my head of what we saw in the spring game where you try to throw a screen over one of Notre Dame's long (laughs) edge guys, and it has to float up there a little bit, and then Maris comes out and and houses that sucker. So it's something like one of those two scenarios would be the one for me. I love
2: it. Hey, I'll say this about C.J. Stroud too, Brian, just kind of Mm -hmm. reiterate your point, is there were moments last year throughout the season where he had some really nice movement in the pocket. He's able to avoid rushes. But there are some points, man, where he does get a little bit of happy feet after he's kind of held some pressure. So I'm hoping that Notre Dame is able to kind of get that pressure early on in the game because, to your point, I think that could be extremely impactful for the entirety of it if they're able to. Yeah.
1: Connor Fitch, what year are your personal – what year are your personal expectations for a chance at a title? I think we will be good this year but need the 23 and 24 class in before we have a real shot, in my opinion. I don't agree. I'm not predicting Notre Dame to win a championship this year. I'm not. There's a lot they have to prove. But I don't think to that, that this year they don't have a real shot. I think they have the talent to compete with teams. I think they have a schedule that can get them into the playoff with a loss. And I don't see any other teams that – I've said this before. Do I think Bama's probably the best team in the country coming back? I do. Do I think Ohio State's really good? I do. Do I think – that is still going to be really good? I do. None of them are 2019 LSU. None of them are 2018 Clemson. They're, In my opinion, they're not. Alabama's got a great quarterback. They've had a great quarterback for several years. That great quarterback doesn't have the weapons. And, you know, I know you've talked about Jermaine Burton and Tyler Harrell and all those guys, but you, yeah. you've admitted they're not mm-hmm. Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy and the Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle receiving cores. Sure. They're not. Sure. Yeah. And, and those teams had four... First-round picks on one unit. I don't know if Alabama has a first-round pick of wide receiver on, on this roster. I don't think Jermaine Burton showed last year he's a first-round pick. Now, Jamison Williams didn't show that he was a first-round pick coming in <laughs> last year either, so it could change, but Fair. just what of what I know, and I just don't think Jermaine Burton is that kind of guy. Could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Having said that, this is still going to be a really good Bama team. It is. Is their defense what it was five, six, seven years ago? No. Is it still should be pretty good? It should be pretty good, yes. Uh, their offensive line going to be as good as it has been in past years? No, it should still be solid. It should still be good. They got a good old line coach, good running backs, all that kind of stuff. This is not an unbeatable team. This isn't the team that Notre Dame played two years ago. It's not the yeah. team that Notre Dame played in 2012. There is no Clemson from 2018 this year, in my opinion. There isn't. And mm-hmm. so, and this is in my opinion. Arguably, Notre Dame's most talented team they've had in a number of years maybe we can argue that they don't have as many top level players. I think that's debatable. I would actually disagree with that, but I've had people I know and trust say that to me, but you can't argue the depth of this team being better than what's been in past years. And, and so I just look at it and I say, I think this team has a shot to win a title this year. Am I predicting it? No. Am I putting my mortgage on it? Absolutely not. Do I think that we should just chalk this up as a year that they're not a title team? No. No. And I think next year might actually be more challenging for Notre Dame than this year because I think the schedule is going to be harder next year. And I also think that you're going to have some big losses next year, personnel-wise. That maybe you can replace, maybe not. But it's not going to just be a a normal uh, okay, here we go, uh, you're just reloading kind of thing. Uh, so that's kind of you know that's kind of where I'm at with with that i just i I, i'm i'm done with the whole wait till next year stuff i'm done with it yes now will the roster be better in 2024 than it is right now i think it's got a good chance to be so Mm -hmm. but i'm just not chalking this year up to being one that notre dame can't compete with it notre dame on any given saturday i think can hang with any team in the country there's also some questions enough on their team that if they don't play their game they could get smacked but i think that's true for a lot of people sure i mean alabama lost to
2: texas a&m last year Come on. You know, what, what, what was the quarterback's name again? Uh, he transferred to Auburn, Zach Calzada or, or Z- whatever. Calzada, it is. Yeah, Calzada. yeah. yeah.
1: Come on. Yeah. It's not like they lost a Johnny football or even Bo Wallace for that. For that, you know, for, for Bo you know, Wallace, yeah, they, they cool. lost a Bo Wallace. Remember, him? I remember,
2: I remember, all you know, those quarterbacks. it's
1: yeah. like they lost a Zach Calzada last year, they almost lost a TJ Finley. End of sentence, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, it just – there's a lot of good teams that, to me, right now, there are no of those – there's been a couple – in the last five years, we've seen a couple teams where you're like, that was a – that's one of the best teams I've ever seen. Yeah. Clemson 2018 was one of the best teams I've ever seen. LSU 2019 was one of the best teams I've ever seen. You don't see that in back-to-back years. It was not true last year. Bama 2020, I, I can't say it because it was such a weird year. I, I just – the COVID stuff, Ohio State played six regular season games. It was just such a weird year. I, I can't really, I kind of blocked that year out for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But last year, there was no, there was, I've said this, Georgia would have got smacked by most of the teams that have won national championships the last six or seven years, with all due respect. They got smacked by both of Clemson's title teams. They'd have got smacked by 2020 Georgia, Alabama. They, I mean, they couldn't cover Jamison Williams and John Mechie, with all due respect. They're not Devontae Smith. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And you know they'd have got smack, they got smacked, they got got destroyed by 2019 LSU. I'm sorry, right. they would have. Yeah. But you know it just was one of those years. And I think this year is going to be closer to that than it, it, it is 2018, where you had you had three really good teams in college football that year, including Notre Dame. And like I've said this before, I would have been, I would have, I think Notre Dame would have had a much better shot at winning if they could have been matched up with Bam in the first round than Clemson. Clemson was hands down the best team in the country that year. Hands down. Mm-hmm. After Trevor had like three, four starts under his belt, they were going to be hard to beat. It was very, hard very hard to yeah. beat. Yep. 99 problems, but BK ain't one says, if yours is a dude this season, I could see Texas being top, uh, top couple, meaning ranked high. And he says they have a dude at running back, a dude at receiver. I'm not that familiar with the rest of their team though. That's kind of my point, right?
2: Yeah, you, you
1: can't yeah. say that if you only know of the fact that they have a dude at receiver and running back. I mean – Their defense, I think again, I I think Texas could win the Big 12, and and I have them as kind of a playoff sleeper if they can, you know, lose competitively against Alabama and then run the table against an okay Big 12. Mm -hmm. But they got a lot of holes they got to fill, you know. I mean, and and to the point to where 99, they could end up being that team in the end, but I don't think you can justify that preseason. Because even if Ewers is a dude, Ryan, who's blocking for him?
2: Well, that's who's stopping the other
1: team that's the yeah. big question
2: mark well that, that that's my biggest thing is because i've actually dug into their defense especially this i mean we know offensively what i mean because all right let's start with the positives to 99 problems point bj robinson 99 is absolutely a dude there's no doubt we've talked about xavier worthy on this show before and i know that brian's talked a lot about how he thinks he might be the best receiver in college football in, I, I, in think so, like, yeah, I think yeah. he will be
1: year. yeah i think he will be this year yeah
2: so if he is, that's fantastic. They got Isaiah Nayer transferred from Wyoming, who's a really good wide receiver. They have Jordan Whittington, who's a good slot receiver. I like. He's their Avery Davis, well. in my yes. opinion. Yes, yeah. he's a good. He's a good football player. You have almost nothing returning on the offensive line. You have a lot of young kids, and the one key starter coming back offensively from an offensive line perspective is Christian Jones, who is a very not good offensive yeah. tackle. We'll just leave it at that. Right.
1: And their young players aren't Blake Fisher. And yes. Joe Walt, I don't think. Yes. I don't yes. think.
2: I don't think so either. And defensively, they have a couple names, like they have DeMarvian Overshone, who has a name recognition thing, and a couple defensive linemen, but for the most part, their defense has been very bad over the last couple of years. So are, are they mm-hmm. going to be able to turn that thing around? I mean, it's that's my biggest thing is that you're weak in some very troubling spots. Offensive line wise. Not great defensively. It's also not very good in Texas right now. But to that point, I don't think the Big 12 is going to be great this year. And you have the makings of something good. It's just about how quickly can Steve Sarkeesian get in this offensive line working? Can the defense at least be solid? If the defense can be solid, your offensive line is okay. Nothing, Nothing terrible. Then your, I mean, then your playmakers are your playmakers. You right. have a lot of talents, but right. a lot of questions still to work out.
1: Like you know, Notre Dame has questions and young linemen and all this kind of stuff, but they're a team that has those questions coming off of an eleven and two season. Right, Texas has those questions coming off of a five and seven season. There's a difference, and that's why I'm just I'm not able to go there with you right now. Yeah, I'm just I'm not can't go there with you. John A1 says, uh, see Batelho working a lot with D-line edge groups on various practice vids so far? as Kaiser or someone else stepped up at the rover position? My understanding is he is going to get some of those edge moments. It doesn't necessarily mean he is playing that exclusively, but I'll definitely look into it, John. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I don't think that has as much to do with Jack Kaiser stepping up because I think Jack Kaiser has already stepped up. Uh, I think that has more to do with there are going to be situations where they want to get Jordan coming off the edge. I think that's what it has to do with more than anything else.
2: I, I, I'm happy to hear that, sir. i yeah. very happy to hear that. In
1: Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker. They were talking about Georgia and kind of all those type of things. Uh, he said he was agreeing with Archer. I agree. I don't think Georgia can recover from losing the player they lost on D, the players they lost on D to win this year. To me, it's wide open, Bama and everyone else right now. I do think it's wide open. I do. And I don't think it's Bama and everyone else. I think it's wide open, period. As I've said before, give me Ohio, give Ohio State a full season to get their new coaches going. And I would love to see Ohio State and Alabama play in the in the postseason. As a Notre Dame person, I'm not afraid of Notre Dame in a matchup against Alabama now like I was a couple years ago or past years where everything has to go right for Notre Dame because you know what Notre Dame's got some dudes on defense that can do damage against Alabama just like Alabama has some guys that can do damage to Notre Dame Uh, Notre Dame has some offensive weapons that can give matchup problems for Alabama just like Alabama has some And and the reason I say that is is if Notre Dame is a playoff team the stuff we were talking about earlier about Tyler Buckner worked out. Yes. And then I'll I'll put them against anybody. Now they do they got to play their best game? Yeah, but they don't need a bunch of breaks to go their way like they did a couple years ago in 2020. Mm-hmm. To win, you had to have some stuff go your way. And right. I, I just I don't think that's the case. I, I just I don't think anyone is hands down better than everybody else this year. I don't. I think there's a group of teams that are significantly better than most other teams, but they're all even still down the pack a little bit more. Than maybe what it was a couple of years ago. That's just that's my two cents. Par- but
2: par- after after seeing the uh, after seeing the poll, it does seem like parody's a little high in this poll mm-hmm. this year. I, I don't know if that's yeah. just me with nearsightedness or not, but it does seem like there's not a huge separation. Because I mean, even like you were talking about Brian, like you know, you I would maybe you would still have Georgia maybe as number one just because they're the defending national championship. Sure. But we, we, I mean, we're talking about. Maybe sure. then taking a step back because they're had sure. so much turnover, not right. only a defensive coordinator, but also with how much talent right. they lost in the season. So right. it seems like parity made right. an all time high this year.
1: Like I said, I would have them number one, but I mm-hmm. but this is a year where I'm not going to argue with them not being number one, right? Because right. I'm just unless just like you have a, a head coaching change and you know and and the, and I do buy the thing of Dan Lanning you know, leaves they're going to be okay because. It's, it's like when Kirby left, I was like, their defense, Alabama's defense is going to be okay. Uh, now, the interesting thing is Alabama's defense has never re- actually truly recovered from Kirby being gone, which to me says a lot about, okay, Kirby's a better defensive coach maybe than I gave him credit for because I gave Saban a lot of the credit for how good their defense was, and he deserved it, but they've never been as good as they were when Kirby was their D coordinator. Now, there's other reasons why. They play a different style of offense now. Right, sure they do. score quicker. It puts their defense in more binds. The game has changed. Those, all those type of things, and so I do think that uh, that that factors into it. But I just I don't think Dan Lanning was necessarily a guy that I'm like, oh geez, they can't replace him. It's more of they lost all the linebackers. and honestly, defensive linemen they lost. I, I'm, I'm not worried about it. But like to me, that's they're fine. The question yeah. for me is, can they recover from not having to Kobe Dean and Channing, Tind- or Channing, um, Channing Tindall? Tindall yeah. And then yep. who's the other kid that they had at linebacker? Quay, draft Quay, it. Walker. Quay, Walker. Quay Walker. I think those are going to be some bigger losses. And then Lewis Seen is another guy that I think is going to be a bigger question mark for me than losing the guys up front. But even then, they're replacing those guys with really good players or at least right. talented players. And I would still argue that their most talented defensive lineman or defensive player from last year is back. The most talented
2: player, yeah, just in general, yeah, 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 is Joe is a stud. yeah. and
1: yeah. Nolan Smith's really a really back. good football player. And Robert you know, Beale led him in sacks right.
2: last year, so yeah, right. Ringo's back, and, and he's yeah.
1: like 27, you know, uh, Josh Beale, yeah. so he's been around forever, but um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the thing, so anyway. Johnny one says Oklahoma is becoming very weird under Venables, very hardball type feel over there now. And we're not taught. I don't think John and I'm not going to address the situation going on with Kale Gundy. That's not really, I don't know a lot about it. I'm not touching it. It's not my business because I don't know as much about it or what happened, but yes, when you just look at how Venables carries himself and how he talks and some of the quotes he has, there's definitely a Jim Harbaugh type of weirdness to him. There is, yes, he's yeah. a,
2: he's a strange fella, man. There seems like a little, there's a little bit of a obliviousness too there. Yeah, I'll yeah, don't want to touch too much on it, but I'll say, I mean, Brian, we talked about this when he was hired. I think I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan of the hire. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, I like Brian Venable's as a defensive guy. I think he's a really smart in that capacity. I mean, I would take him as my defensive coordinator any day of the week like i think he's a really smart defensive guy and he has the ties to oklahoma which i understand again why that was their target there's just something about him from a personality perspective that just does not say head coach to me like i'll just yeah. leave it at that it just doesn't say a coach to me we'll see. i will
1: say this if he if you are wrong and this is the thing i've always said i don't know what he's going to be as a head coach but if you're wrong and mm-hmm. he can't actually be a head coach I think Oklahoma is going to be better under him than Lincoln Riley. And the reason I say that is, is because they're going to be better defensively. And I think he made a good hire as an offensive coordinator.
2: Lebby's, I didn't know Lebby a
1: lot about Jeff Levy when he got hired, yeah. but as I've studied him since then, I'm like, okay, that's a good hire. I like that. It hire.
2: was a really good hire. It was a really right. good hire. I agree 100%. Right. Yep.
1: But it's just the weirdness factor is the thing for me. And can he create a disciplined, tough program? That's, we don't know with a, a first year coach. Uh, we have no idea, yeah. but he's a weird guy. And he's guy. going to say a lot of really weird things, and it's just going to be like I don't see him having the ability to turn it off. I just think that's who he is. Yeah. So he gives yeah.
2: he gives me like vibes of he's somewhere between Jim Harbaugh and Adam GaSe for me. Like there's just Ooh, some weirdness, the creepy eyes. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like I, I, because Venables is kind of a scary looking guy too, man. Like he's you know he's got kind of that vibe to him. I'm just like I don't know if I want to talk to you, sir. Like you, I'm sure you're a yeah. very nice man, but like I yeah I don't know I don't know. We'll see we'll see how it works out. Yep.
1: Derek Hartz I had to adjust my lunch schedule to catch you guys. Will you be starting at one for the foreseeable future? Just need to let everyone know. I am now addicted to Notre Dame football in a different way. I appreciate that, Derek, very much. So in the past, we've had to adjust our schedule to during the school year to fit Vince. Uh, but with the new format of what we've got going on Irish Breakdown with the night shows and some different things going on, uh, Vince is going to be doing more of the stuff at night with uh Sean Styers on the IB nation sports talk, which we will have live tonight at six o'clock remind you. And then Vince will also be on the Friday mailbags for part of it when his schedule works. M- most likely Th- there may be some things to keep him off the mailbag. We'll see, but he'll still be on the college morning show and then the post game show. And then the upon further review on Sunday where the teaching schedule doesn't impact that. Cause I just was, I didn't want to keep moving the schedule around during the year. And sometimes it's 1230 and sometimes it's one. So with Vince not on the, the afternoon show and doing more of the night stuff, which I love because he's doing a great job with Sean and we'll still have him on the weekend stuff. That's going to allow us to continue to be at one o'clock. So we're going to stay at one o'clock during the season. Uh, and, and then of course, you know, Mondays will be a recruiting hour. We're not, as, as I said yesterday, we're not going to be doing a recruiting hour the next couple of weeks because there's just not a lot going on. And we're gonna we answer recruiting questions in the mailbags. And if news does come up, we'll just address it on whatever day that it comes up, like we did yesterday. And then once the season starts, we'll get back to Monday being a recruiting hour episode. And we've got some plans for that. And then of course, Ryan and I, and then and we'll have some other different guests hopefully during the season on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday stuff where we'll break down the opponent, break down the team. So we will stay at one o'clock for the foreseeable future. If we decide that moving it to noon or two or whatever makes it better, where more people want to watch it, that's fine. We we can address that. But we've really found that one o'clock has been a sweet spot for us, and we want to keep it there uh, as much as we can. So yes, I uh, get to let those people know, let your work know that that's the hour you got to have it. You have at least have off for that first hour. And it'll be we're going to do more mailbag stuff this year than we did last year. It we won't be doing like three hour shows during the season. There's just too much going on. But we're not going to just eliminate the mailbags like we did last year. We're going to try to find a happy medium between the two is what we're going to continue to try to
2: do. And and Derek, if you do miss any shows, make sure that you're subscribed. Anybody out there, make sure you're subscribed, that you get the notifications that we are going live or you can catch the show afterwards as well. And
1: you can definitely listen on the podcast because now we when these shows are over, we used to save them and then put them up the next morning. Well, now that IB Nation Sports Talk is taking that slot, we are then as soon as so as soon as this show is over, I will download it, clean it up, edit it, take out the part where Ryan was talking about somebody's granddaughter, and then uh, we'll we'll publish that so it'll come up that day, uh, and so you can listen to those because I think we look better on the uh, the podcast than we do the live YouTube show. At least I do, anyway. So uh, definitely have the face that fits that better. There's no question about it. You can't agree. see my face. All right, Josh Buffo, the motivate, and Derek, thank you for that because that actually allows me to let people kind of know a little bit about what's kind of going into our plans moving forward. And then also, we will launch the college football pregame show a couple weeks early, so that ten to twelve noons, ten to noon slot on Saturday, we'll act, we'll have a couple shows before the first week of the season. So we're definitely going to have one week zero, and what we'll do is we'll preview the games that day. It's not a lot of great games, but then there's some games during the week that are going to be pretty decent, like Pitt plays pen, Pitt, Penn knows. Pitt and West Virginia play in that first week, like on like a Thursday or something like that, right? I think the backyard brawl is that first week, but it's on like a Thursday. Well, we're not going to have that show on a Thursday, so we'll preview even the the upcoming games on that show and then, you know, do like a preseason thing. We'll have like a Notre Dame big picture preview the week before that. So we will – so start marking your calendar. Two weeks before the season opener against Ohio State, we will start that 10 to 12 uh, slot for the show. Uh, the the college football Saturday show. Then uh, John Archer says losing seven draft picks on the defense is a lot to overcome for anyone. I think the thing that people are not giving enough credit to for Georgia is I, I don't think we put enough on how beat up their offense was last year. Mm-hmm. And I still have question marks about their receiving core Ryan because of Burton leaving mm-hmm. and because Pickens is gone. But they should be really good at tight end. Yes. They should still have some running backs that can catch the football, and they do have some players at receiver. They're not devoid of talent at wide receiver. They have some know, players there.
2: Trivia: Do you know who their leading wide receiver was last year? Brock Bowers was the leading overall receiver. As far
1: as just catches, yards and catches, yards. Like, it, it, Burton worth- was no, it wasn't. Burton was the main was the leading leader in receptions be, behind Burton in receiving yards. Excuse me. And then McConkie was their leading receiver in catches after okay. the, the tight end, so it was it was different. Gotcha, uh, it was gotcha, two different gotcha. guys, yeah. So, gotcha. but your point stands. He's back, and he's like a, he's McConkey like their Hunter stuff. Renfro, and he's he's yes, a pretty yes. good athlete. He's their <laughs> yeah. Hunter Renfro. So, and I'm not saying that because he's white. I'm saying that because that's kind of the role. He's just that he makes he doesn't catch the ball a lot, but when he does, yeah. it's a it's a clutch catch. Yep, and they you know they have Adonai Mitchell comes back. They, I think I believe Kiers Jackson is back. Kiers Jackson too. is
2: back. Yep. and and back.
1: they've recruited some good players at wide receiver in recent years. So they'll and be okay Eric, there.
2: Eric, Eric Gilbert's apparently playing wide receiver, two hundred sixty-five right. pounds. So whatever. There
1: you go. I'm so tired of talking about that guy. L- let me see him do something, <laughs> right? Like let me see him back. You know, I mean, I hope he gets whatever issues he's had worked out. That's great, but like, let's let the kid go out and play before we start hyping him up as like the next greatest thing in the world. But I, I don't think Brock Bowers is going to get worse. You know what I mean? Like a year stronger and in the system, I don't think he's going to get worse. And so, uh, you know, I think their offense is going to be better. That's yeah. that's the key. And the other thing is, is Arian Smith healthy for them? That's going to be a big key because that dude can fly if he's healthy. So I'm not quite sure what his status is. I'd have to actually look into that. But if he's healthy, that's a that's a dynamic. I mean, he is like a faster version of their It's their brain, Lindsey, but faster. Like that kid can
2: absolutely fly. It's nice to have. And, and they yeah. have a couple – even though you lost Zemir White and James Cook, you still have Kenny McIntosh and um, what's the other kid's name? Kendall Milton coming back right. too, right? So, right. I mean, the running back stable is going to be talented. And the other point I'll say, Archer, about the seven NFL draft picks, because I know that's mostly defensive players that we're talking about there. Yes, they're big losses. There's no doubt. But, yeah. I mean, everyone talked about – what what's his um, – Jordan Davis played less than 50% of the snaps, right? So like uh, way less. people are playing. Yeah. Way less than 50% well, well, of his, snaps. And his career was only like 20-something percent right. or some crazy number like
1: that. He played yeah. way less than 20% of his snaps. And honestly, there were times he was just there. I mean, yeah. if we're being real, I mean, he would flash at times and put up those highlight reel plays, and they love showing it because he's just kind of a physical freak. But he was not. Yeah, whatever. Don't get me started on that. So anyway – I think George is going to be better on offense this year, is the point. And they're still going to be good, pretty good on defense. They may not be the you know, greatest defense ever, nonsense like people were talking about last year, but they're still going to be really good on defense uh,
2: this year. Quick, 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 uh, quick comment Did you see uh, Jordan Davis's fantastic rep yesterday that everyone yeah. was gawking right. about? I'm just like, wow, right. he couldn't get off a block, congratulations! Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> weighed a guy by 100 pounds, congratulations! Yeah, like, oh, cool. a, a buddy
1: of mine's pointed to the week that the Eagles play uh, the Colts and said, um, he said, uh, you know, Notre Dame and, um, and Jordan Davis matchup, which is going to be epic, but my, I, I haven't responded to him yet, but I'm going to respond for like 12 snaps, be right. for like 12, 15 <laughs> snaps. Cause that's about all Jordan right. Davis can give you, you know? So, um, that was, yeah, he, he, I mean, he wasn't even in their, in their top two last year for defensive lineman, in my opinion, even yeah. when he was on the field, he would make some flashy plays, but his production was mediocre. And I know he's a two technique nose tackle, but he he wasn't on the field a whole lot. So I just I never I, that that guy replacing him won't exactly to me be the challenge that I think some people make it out to be. I just again I could be wrong. I just I don't know. He just he played 378 snaps last year. I mean, in 15 in, games, in, in 15 games, in 15 games, games. that's bare, that's in the that's an average in the 20s, Ryan. You know, so um, it just, yeah, that'll be, that'll be replaceable to me. So I'm actually going to look at this. I want to compare this real quick. Hold on a second. Let me see. So that, that is fewer snaps. He played fewer snaps last year in games than Justin Ademiola, right? He played just a few more snaps. What did I, what number did I say?
2: 300 and something 300, right yeah. let
1: me let me look right. at that again because i want to see how because his numbers let's put it this way his numbers were a lot closer to howard cross than they were to notre dame starters last year so let me let me just find this number real quick so go down to the mm-hmm. sec and georgia so jordan davis last year played where's he at 378 snaps howard cross played 330 so it's a much closer to that than he was to Notre Dame starters. Kurt Heinis yep. played 388 and only played 11 games. Yes. So in few fewer in four fewer games, Kurt Heinis played 10 more snaps than Jordan Davis did. So yeah, whatever. I think they'll be. I think they'll be okay. Okay. And now you're going to see more of Jalen Carter this year too, and and Nolan Smith's a good player too. Like I got to yep. watch more of him to really study him, but but you know he, he's he's a good player.
2: You'll, as 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 a former coach, you'll like Nolan Smith. He does he does mm-hmm. all the little things. I don't yeah. think he's a high upside pass try sure, try
1: hard right? kind of guy with with a little bit of, with some talent. Just
2: really yeah. strong hands, man. Good, I mean, good hand placement. Plays like a dog in the run game. Like you'll you'll mm-hmm. you'll like a lot of what he does in that department. He's a great run defender. Great run yep. defender. All
1: right, let's get to some more questions here. We have from Kerry Van Norman. How much will Notre Dame's defense change this year without Golden as D.C.? Or do you think it will stay close to what Marcus Freeman had them doing last year?
2: I I think that I think, Kerry, I think you're going to see a baseline kind of structurally of what it's going to look like. I do think that you're going to see more four down with Coach Golden comparative to what you saw from Marcus Freeman last year. I thought Marcus played a lot of three down or uh, kind of spurts in there. But I think you're going to see more four down. But I will say. I think structurally it's going to be very similar. It's going to be, though, that Al Golden's going to have his little bit of touches on the defense, obviously. right? Like it's going to be – he's going to have – the overall philosophy is going to be laid out, but then he's going to have kind of his version of it and his outlook on it, right? So I think it's going Mm -hmm. to be similar to what you saw last year structurally, but there will always be a couple of wrinkles that I think Al Golden's going to keep in there.
1: Notre Damon asks, good morning, fellas. So I hear that if you schedule Hawaii first game, then you can still schedule 12 more teams. Is that true? Going out to Hawaii every year is a good recruiting pitch too. couple things about, I I don't disagree, Damon. A uh, couple things about that. I don't think you can schedule them every year. I think there's like, like, I'd have to go back and look at the rule again, but I think you can only do it like once every three years or something like that. I, and it's a non-conference game. You have to schedule a road game against them and it's not week one. You just have to schedule a road game period. And if you do that, you can play 13 games. So basically if you go out there, they'll give you a home, the NCAA will give you a home game and it's designed to try to encourage non-conference teams to go out to Hawaii. So that way Mm -hmm. Hawaii doesn't have to play every non-conference game on the road. And so that's what they do. And some, some teams have taken advantage of that. I wouldn't be opposed to Notre Dame doing that. It's not something I would want to do every year though. And I don't know if I would want to do it. I would actually, if, and I don't think this is possible because Hawaii plays in the, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, conference, they, they have the not, you know, they have the uh, conference championship mountain West, right. They're in the mountain West. Yeah. But you know, if, if you could schedule it to where you'd play them the weekend of the conference championship games, or, and, and again, I, I think there's an exception for Navy and army to be able to play the weekend they do. Correct. Isn't there an I exception so. to that? Believe so. Like if, yeah. if there was some way you could get an exception to play Hawaii that weekend. So then if Hawaii plays in the big 12 championship, I'd be okay with that too. But I think most likely what you'd do is you'd have them play in week zero against Hawaii or play them like play some like, well, because what they could also do is they could schedule a home game against an, an independent team or something like that at home the weekend of the conference championship games. But the options for that wouldn't be overly attractive because you'd have to have at Hawaii and then, uh, you know, Whoever they end it like Liberty or who won't even be an independent that much longer. They could have done it with BYU, but that's that's not an option anymore after this year either. Yeah. So, because uh, I'm trying to remember who is left on independent, It'd have to be like UConn, UMass, UMass, yeah, like yeah. teams that I'd be like, dude, I'd rather just stay at home. I wouldn't want to risk <laughs> having an injury because as you're pounding, here's here's the it's Army, it's BYU, who won't be after this year, Liberty. Mm-hmm who is leaving for a conference either next year or the year after. I think they're joining a league soon. New Mexico yeah. State, UConn and UMass. And honestly, I'd rather play an FCS team than play UConn or UMass. They're terrible. How, how about New Mexico State? They're pretty bad
2: too. They're not, they're not great either. Yeah, not. But if if playing Hawaii meant you get to go to Hawaii every once right. in a while, that'd be nice.
1: But I'd rather do some try to do some with the Army. I mean, cuz you could schedule Army the week of the conference championship games. Right? That could and, be a and, game.
2: And Army's actually a decent program right now. Like, yeah, Jeff Munkin's doing a nice
1: job. He really yeah. is. Yeah, he really is.
2: All they right, may have in. Army may have the highest drafted player they've ever had. By the way, yeah. they have. Andre you think Carter that kid's a defense legit defense. first
1: round talent? You told me maybe, that, right? Maybe or, not. May, top
2: fifty two? type of player. Day yeah, two top for 50. sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, th- I think their highest rated player that Army's ever had was Mike Wall went in the second round. So I think okay. that. Andre and that was Carter a while ago, had, wasn't it? Yes. 90s. I think. Yeah. yeah it was a wow. long time ago now, but um, yeah, I, I think that he has a chance, man. He's got a nice little grade in, in the uh, in the preseason and he's long and athletic and I don't know how army got him, but they got yep. him. Yep. I got
1: another, got a super chat down here from Sean Michael. Thank you, Sean, very much for that. Hey, Brian and Ryan. Thanks as always. You're welcome. If you're Tommy Reese, what's your first offensive series versus Ohio state look like? And then if you're out gold defensively, the same question. I'm going to take a crack. I answered this last time and you agreed, but I'll let you kind of take your shot at this one, Ryan. Yeah. What's I your mean, first series look like?
2: Yeah, I mean, Sean, so, I mean, for me, usually I want to kind of see how a defense, and I'm talking from Tommy Reese's perspective, I want to see how a, a defense is going to adjust to things, right? So if I'm coming, maybe I'll start with a two-by-two two set and then I'll motion to a three-by-one just to see kind of what the adjustment is to a three-by-one. And I might also do the same thing where I started a three-by-one motion to two by two and just kind of I want to see with movement on offensively what the defense and how they're going to adjust to it right and I want to see a couple different personnel groups I'm just really trying to assess I mean I'm trying to score right like I'm trying to get a drive going but more than anything defense when I'm an offensive team I want to see defensively how do they adjust to certain formations to movements I want to see that type of thing and I think honestly against Ohio State I'm going to try to run the football, right? Like I think Mm -hmm. that that's something where you are going to try to work this clock in your pace. So I might run some zone read out of it and see if I can bust one up the middle or if that, if that, um, if that overhang defender is going to crash in the box, then we have Tyler, Tyler Buckner, keep it. And then maybe off of that, I might run a little bit of pass action. So it's like an RPO type of look either way though. I want different looks. Almost every play, I want to see how they move to motion and I want to run the football. That's what I'm mm-hmm. doing early on. I want to set up a play action shot at some point, but in order for that to be extra effective, I need to be able to run the football on the ground. Defensively, it's a little tough. I mean, I am of the belief that defensively, coverage-wise, I want to mix in a lot of looks. And we talked a little bit about mm-hmm. this, Brian. I think it was your your post about, you know, just talking ball and someone asked. Directly, like, how would you defend Ohio State or or Jackson Smith and Jigba? I think was the actual question. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I would give a lot of man looks early on, but then I would rotate post snap to different types of coverages, right? Because I want to kind of confuse the coverage and potentially funnel or even to have some robber coverage that's going to kind of rob the side that Jackson Smith is playing on. I want to really mix up the coverages a ton. And honestly, I'm going to pick my spots with some added pressure, with like some five man pressures. But I really, if I think Notre Dame is going to be successful, getting home with four I think is going to be incredibly right. important. If they're able to do that, then I can kind of mix and match my zone coverages. am going to play a little man in spurts, but I don't want to play man all day against this team. I want to be able to kind of mix and match the coverage. So that's a little bit of something I would do. More than anything defensively, especially, Sean, I want to try to confuse this offense early from a pass, passing game perspective. I want to force, hopefully – cj stroud into a little bit of some bad bad um bad decisions early on i think that's what Mm -hmm. be because if you get if you get the run game going and maybe you force an early turnover at least get him off his game i think that's where you really start to take that momentum and take that pace in your advantage
1: let's go to the next question here we have from brent smith actually yes uh says do you believe that the frost jabron Payne, has to produce and i assume he's talking about this
2: year I I wouldn't say – I mean, not on-field production, Brent. Like, I want him to be able to – I want him to have a fully healthy year, working every day in practice, getting his legs back under him, and being able to compete on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing for Jabron for me because, like you said, Brian, like he's barely played in two years, right? So, like, I need to get his legs underneath of him, and I want to see him just kind of get through the season and remain healthy. And I think now that you're maybe a little more optimistic about when Mm -hmm. Logan Diggs will get back to the team – now, you have your three backs in front of them where you don't have to force Jabron Payne into early playing time because I think that that's, I don't want to say it's the worst case scenario for him, but I really just want to make mm-hmm. sure that we're not rushing him back too quick.
1: Right. Next question Irish High Town says, Brian, has anyone on offense surprised you early on? I'm not the person to ask that question to. I'll tell you what, Irish High Town, uh, Sean Stiers and Vince Diderio uh, have both been at every practice so far. I have not been in any practices uh, tonight at six o'clock PM, ask them that question. And I will give them a heads up that you are going to ask that if you're able to be on that show. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the deal. And Hey, I'd appreciate y'all. If you're, if you're in the chat and you see us doing this and you, something happens in the message board, please don't text me that something's wrong with the message board. I can't do anything about it right now. So, yeah, the people that handle our site getting updates when things are going wrong. They're working on fixing it. Okay, so there's nothing I can do about it in the middle of a show. Uh, Josh Phillips, Ryan, this is a good question for you. Uh, yep. J- Josh Phillips, how big of a learning curve from center to left guard? And this is referring to Jarrett Patterson from earlier. How big of a learning curve is that
2: move? I mean, it's a, it's, it's. I mean, it's a difference, right? I mean, anytime you make a position switch, it's going to be there's going to be things that are going to be very different. But I think if anything, Josh, I think it's going to help him in a lot of ways right like we talked about just the fundamentals of snapping and getting into into your blocking position and stuff i think that the game has the opportunity to slow down a little bit for jared patterson at left guard if we're being completely honest so it's going to be a little bit of a transition because he's been doing something for a long period of time but when you're talking about the the switch from center to left guard i think things are just going to be a little bit easier for jared you know you have Joalt next to you potentially you have z corral next to you you have a little bit more help there's gonna be a lot of times where honestly you're uncovered and you have a little bit more space to navigate and you have a little bit more time to recover and i think that the game is really in my opinion i think it's going to really slow down for jared patterson because it's just the process is a lot easier i think from a guard perspective comparative to a center a lot of stuff happens in a very short amount of time after you have to snap and then get into your proper position
1: Yeah. Uh, Another thing, guys, we are, we go an over an hour today before we get to questions. So when we start questions, we're not starting questions at the time you get to them. We are going to work through questions as we go. So you don't need to put a super chat in there about, did I see the other super chats when we haven't got to that point yet? Okay. We will get to the questions. Okay. So just please have a little bit of patience for how we do this show. On a daily basis, we'll get to questions. Okay. We'll get to those questions. We have a super chat from Fat Fish. If you projected what team, thank you, Fat Fish, for your super chat, I appreciate that very much. If you projected what team moving forward will be Notre Dame's biggest impediment to a national championship, so that was going to be, I would imagine. Well, I look at it twofold, Ryan. One is nationally. That's an interesting question. That and is- then two, schedule wise, because I actually have an interesting answer for this one.
2: Okay. Do you want, do you want me to tackle the schedule or the national perspective? Both. Both. Okay.
1: Either one, whichever one you're, you're more comfortable to kind of answer right away.
2: I think the answer to both is the same actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's Ohio state because when I'm thinking about the progress and the impact in the Midwest, that is the Midwestern power that you need to overtake from a recruiting perspective and from a perception perspective, like that's what, when people talk about the power in the Midwest, I think that they think about Ohio State early on. Mm-hmm. So Ohio State's a big first game, best team on your schedule this year as of right now, barring what happens if they make it to the playoffs or whatever you know after the season happens. But also, Brian, like I would argue that Ohio State is your biggest competition regionally from a recruiting perspective too. So I would argue that Ohio State may be the big—I don't want to call them a hindrance, but they're the biggest competition that you have to not only to solidifying yourself as the power in the Midwest and eventually taking that step forward to being Mm -hmm. a national title contender on a year-to-year basis.
1: Right. We've talked about this. Ohio State, to me, is a team that you've got to surpass them before you can surpass Bama and those type of teams. There's no doubt about it. And they're going to have more and more battles in the recruiting trail moving forward than they have in the past. From a schedule. So nationally, I think that is the one you can't become the national team, uh, you know, that that you've been in the past until you be like when Notre Dame was dominant in the 80s and 90s. They were the best team in the Midwest. The second best team in the Midwest was Michigan and Notre Dame won most of those battles during that stretch from 88 to 93. Uh, I'm actually going to go back and look at uh, at what the schedule was, but you have to be able to beat that like, you know, what we often forget in that kind of that 88 to 89 schedule when Notre Dame was really good. Notre Dame over two years went 24 and one and had like 12 wins over ranked opponents and had like, I think like eight of them or nine of them over like top 10 teams and like seven or eight like wins over top five teams. What people forget is Michigan was really good. Those two years, like Michigan had a really good team those two years. And I think when I when I kind of look at it, it's like, boy, you had to be able to beat Michigan or, or that Miami game doesn't matter, right? I mean, it, it just wouldn't have mattered. In 1988, Michigan was the number four team in the country. We've talked about this last week. Their two losses that year were a two-point loss to Notre Dame and a one-point loss to Miami. That was it. I mean, that was a really good Michigan team. And 1989, Michigan went 10-2 and, and finished in the top 10 as well, and their only two losses were to Notre Dame at home by five. And then they lost a bowl, the Rose Bowl to Michigan by to USC by a touchdown. So those were some really good teams, and Notre Dame was able to kind of overcome Michigan during that stretch. And if you look at it, when you look at that ske- that that stretch from 1988 uh, to 1993, Notre, actually from from 87 to 93, Notre Dame went five one and one against Michigan during some times when Michigan was a really really good football team. Uh, and so, you know, Bo Beckler obviously retired in 1989. Uh, they beat him the last two times they played him. Then Gar- Gary Moeller took over as the coach. You know, he had some good football teams as well. Uh, coach Moeller was the head coach during that stretch uh, to '93. They went nine and three and finished in the top ten. In '90, they went ten and two and finished in the top ten. In '91, they went nine zero and three and finished fifth. In 1992, and then 1993 was the first year that they kind of took a step back and they went eight and four. So Michigan was really good during that stretch, and Notre Dame went 5-1-1 one, and one against them. And it, it's similar, and they were beating them on the recruiting trail for guys too. So that's the, that's what Ohio State is now to Notre Dame. You have to start beating Ohio State before you can then go do those other things. I think the other team that I look at from a schedule standpoint, Ryan, is Miami.
2: It's interesting be- one.
1: Yeah, because Notre Dame and Miami are going to have some games coming up, and it's going to come during a time when Notre Dame is going to be really good. But I think if if Mario Cristobal is doing what I think he's going to do as a coach, I think Miami's going to start getting pretty good here pretty soon as well. Notre yeah. Dame plays Miami for the first time in 2024. It'll be at home, but I think Miami's going to be a pretty talented team by then. They play again in 2025 at Miami, and that's going to be, what, fourth year of Mario Cristobal's tenure. It'll be his team by then. Yeah. It'll be a much more talented team than it is now. And and so – and then I think there's another matchup coming up like a couple years after that. I'd have to go back and look uh, kind of what their schedule is going to look like after that. Yeah, they play again in 2028, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so I think Miami could be that team here over the next few years where, you know, if Notre Dame – people say, well, once the 22 and 23 and 24 recruiting classes show up, well, Miami's going to have some pretty darn good recruiting classes during then too. And I'm actually more concerned about Miami in those years than I am about USC because I don't honestly. My prediction is I think the only way Lincoln Riley is at US as at USC by 2027 is if he is not doing well because then the NFL yeah. don't, doesn't want him. That's my sure. that's my thought. That's my two that's, cents on it.
2: That's that's interesting because I think that also what Miami has going. I think what Notre Dame has going for right now is that you have a coach that's incredibly appealing, right? Like it's very mm-hmm. attractive. He's making the program more attractive in that regard. Miami when Miami's going good the U sells itself very easily right because mm-hmm. it's like that's that's the brand that they have and then also quietly I feel like people don't talk about this Brian but Miami's a good school like academically it's a good it's a good school you know mm-hmm. what I mean so like you have a lot of attractive things about Miami too so if, if if their coaching staff can do the right kind of steps take the right steps to getting Miami back to any types of relevance then I think that although crystal ball is a great recruiter just to start with, it's also like the brand's going to keep selling itself, right? right? Cause everyone wants to put the U up, right? Oh, the U, the U is back type of thing. And I think that that's a team. Texas is another one in that similar vein, right? Like Texas kind of sells itself a little bit when everything's right. going well, like, you know, Texas back horns up all that type of stuff. I mean, so I think Texas, Miami, a couple of those teams that are traditionally some of the blue bloods in college football That have kind of fallen to the wayside now have better images, I think, moving forward. So to your point, could be interesting national-wise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Really, really good stuff, Ryan. I I think and I think that's what's fun. Is there's and here's the other thing, too. Someone in five years is going to be in this conversation that we're not even thinking about right now. Yep. And I and I I don't know who that's gonna be, but it's just maybe it's
2: maybe it's Florida's coming back with Billy Napier. Maybe it's a knockout. Like In
1: 2010, if I'd have told you, Ryan five years you know Clemson's gonna be that team you would have laughed at me you're like dude they're an Boy. adjective right yes. like you'd have been like you're in 2012 if I would have told you that you'd have laughed at me hey in four years Clemson's gonna have a title they're gonna they're gonna own Bama and That's it's funny. just like you be like dude okay I'm gonna have to find a new job because I can't work for an idiot like I'm sorry <laughs> and you'd have been you'd have been justified at the time you just never know right? You just never it's know. True. Like when Dabo got hired in 07, were you thinking like in a decade from now, he's going to have two titles no. or, I mean, no, and he'll have one title and be on the verge of another and have a no. you know national, you no, know, you wouldn't have thought that. They one, not like if you think Notre Dame's national title drought was long right now, imagine what Clemson's was. I mean, in 2015, that one once like what 81. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, had, and, and that was, I think their only one, I think I could be wrong on that, but it, it had been a long time. So, You just never know. So, like, you know, when I look at their 2028 schedule, for example, you know, it's Arkansas, Purdue, Virginia Tech, Navy, Boston College, Clemson, Miami, and Pitt. I have no idea what those teams are going to be then. (laughs) The only one that I think I have any kind of semblance of is Miami because I feel like that's kind of going to be when they're going to really be rolling with with Mario Cristobal. I don't know what Arkansas is going to look like. I don't know what Purdue is going to look like or Virginia Tech or Boston College or Clemson or Pitt. I don't have any clue uh but it's gonna it's gonna be very for, interesting
2: for Virginia Tech's another interesting one not not quite to that level but I kind of like the new coach they have the uh, defense coordinator for Penn State that's over there now is, is it Brent Pry, Brent right? yeah yeah mm-hmm. I kind of like him man I listened to a few of his interviews I'm like oh, okay at first I was kind of like I don't know about that hire but now yep. kind of looking back at it like not a bad hire I think for, for Virginia Tech. Yeah. we'll see though we'll see
1: yeah they just need someone to get them back to getting the best kids and and Virginia, and you know that they can get, and then playing with an attitude. Justin Fuente; yep. those teams did not play with an attitude at all. At so all. yeah, we're, we're, it's going to be. I, I want them to be good. I mean, I'm an I'm a Virginia guy, right? Like I want UVA and Virginia to be good. I, I enjoyed it when they've had good teams in the past, but I also think it's good for the ACC and good for college football. I mean, Virginia Tech should be a better team. Are they a? Should, will they be what they were under Michael Vick? No, unless they get another Michael Vick. They right. won't be that again, but th- they were a good team for some years, you know. And sure were
2: really, you know, them really well. I mean, Frank Beamer, Buddy, uh Bud oh, Foster, yeah. It was really good. Oh, yeah, man. it was really good for a while. Yeah, no doubt.
1: Michael S with a super chat. He goes, uh, compare BK and Mark Rick both rebuild famous program, but unable to win the big game, go to school in Fertile recruit area to change the scenario. Same result. Huh. I-, I think it's a little bit different. Um, honestly, Michael, because I think Mark Ricked was sort of done at that point in time. I, I do. Uh, I, I think Mark Rick has a lot of interest outside of football. He does a lot of like missionary work. Like even when he was coaching, he does like a lot of things to help Christian organizations and and, and that he doesn't ever like really brag about. You know, he would do like mission trips over the summer when he was coaching at Georgia to help, you know, build f- homes and shelters and stuff like that in other countries. And he's always kind of been that. And I just think he was kind of worn down. By the time he was done with Georgia. I think he was worn out. I don't think Brian Kelly's worn out because I don't think he's worked hard enough to be worn out. But I think also Brian Kelly has a different mindset about it. I'm not saying it's better or worse. I just think Coach Rick was kind of he was kind of tapped out. And I think the only reason he went to Miami was because it was his alma mater. I don't think there was any other school that could have got him to coach, in my opinion. I really don't. Whereas Brian Kelly would have taken any great offer he could get, any good offer he could get to leave Notre Dame. I mean, that had been true for a while. So I think the scenarios are a little bit different. In, in in regard to that, I just I also think LSU is a is a better situation now than Miami was when Mark Richt went there. They were a mess, and they had they hadn't been Miami for a long time. I mean, LSU won a national title three years ago, mm-hmm. you know, like really two, like, yeah, three seasons ago, right? Three years ago. Yep. So, and 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 LSU. It's, I mean, it is still the program in the state if you do it right. So, I don't think I don't think the the c- scenarios are the same. But I'll say this to his question: I do think the results are going to be the same. In that I don't I do think Brian Kelly will lose most of the big games, but I think he'll win more big games than Mark Rick did, uh, because the only big game that Mark Rick really won in his two years was over mm-hmm. Brian
2: Kelly true. Very true. That's funny when you think about it like that, the parallels. Yeah. Yeah, He's
1: only there for like what two years? I think so.
2: It, it was yeah. it was a very I mean, it was like a it was like a blink of the eye, man. Like yeah. it was just done, you know? It yeah. Was, yeah. More that was a many... weird that was kind of a weird hire too. Like yeah, just he was there a, for three years. Three years. Because he was he was a very I I I he just doesn't come off as a Miami coach,
1: even though he played there. Know? That's the funny it, thing, it's, right? It's, like it
2: is funny. It is funny. Yeah. But like just he doesn't carry himself that way, you know. Like I feel like to be right. a Miami head coach, you got to kind of have a little bit of swagger and a little bit of like that right. to you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Mark Rick is not that guy. Mark Rick seems like a really nice person. I'm sure he's an awesome guy, yeah. but like just doesn't strike me as like a good fit with Miami, you know? Like right. just doesn't. Right. I think Cristobal is a way better fit there. Yeah, so. yeah, and and he
1: had, Cristobal actually played after the U had become the U. Yeah. Whereas Rick was there before. It became that. He played in the Howard Schnellenberger era, not the Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson era.
2: That's a great point. He definitely seems more like a Howard Schnellenberger compared to those guys. The Miami we think
1: of as the you, the taunters, the trash talkers, the wearing the fatigues. and That was not the Howard Schnellenberger you. That was the Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson you. (laughs) Completely different situations.
2: Very good point. Very good point.
1: Yeah, man, really where did good.
2: it where, where did it go wrong for Miami? They were they were rolling there for a while, man, and then it just... well, I think
1: the administration didn't, didn't they went through mm. the same thing that happened to Notre Dame after because it happened around the same time, really. Yeah, yeah, and and other than and if not for them hiring Butch Davis, I don't think Miami has what what Miami doesn't have the 0-1, 0-2 runs if Butch Davis doesn't get rehired, and it kind of brought back that like that was their version of if Notre Dame would have hired Barry Alvarez to replace Lou, right? Uh, he would have been able to overcome those things because of who he was. And I don't think that, you know, and I just think they made some bad hires. Uh, the school didn't support football. Uh, you know, they they got rid of the orange bowl and started playing it like, you know, Joe Robbie or wherever else. And, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. you know, the school's trying to become the Ivy league of the South and all this other nonsense. And what was his name? Tad, the president, right. Like just didn't like the coaches yeah. and there were things being done to kind of undermine. And then of course, you get into the the cheating scandals with whether it was Luther Campbell or, you know, whether it sure. was Nevin Shapiro, it's just a lot of different things, but a lot of it just had to do with bad hires. And I think they kept trying to go to the well of former players going to fix it all, you know, and then, you know, and then, um, you know, Randy Shannon was a good linebacker in college and good defensive coordinator and pretty good linebackers coach and recruiter, but not a head coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think it's just a, it's never one thing, right. It's never like, it's like it's, it's always a combination of factors that can blow up a program like that that's fair and i just i think and i think going away from being independent was was something that I hurt miami a little bit because you know playing in the big east i don't know if that necessarily inspired kids to want to go to the u anymore the same way because mm-hmm. you know who goes to miami saying you know when the cuz when kids went to miami in the 80s they went to Miami knowing they were going to get to play against the best teams in the country year after year after year. I mean, you know, like that 1988 Miami team, they were an independent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they had to play Notre Dame, who was a great team. But a lot of people forget they started the season that year against the preseason number one team in the country in Florida State. The next week they played at Michigan. The week after that they played against Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin wasn't good back then, but I'm, my, my point is they played – Wisconsin at home. Then they played Missouri. Then they played at Notre Dame. Later in the year, they played at LSU. And then they had a home game against number eight Arkansas. And then they played BYU. Well, back in the 80s, BYU was really good. Well, right? that year, they went at nine and four that year, nine and four the year before that. There were a couple years before 85, they were an 11 win team. And in 1984, BYU won the national championship. And so you know beat Michigan in a bowl in the holiday bowl, opened the season with a win at number three pit so you know beating I mean they were going all over the country playing everybody you know mm-hmm. and 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 I, I mean that's kind of why you signed up to, to go to Miami I mean you, it's for similar reasons that you went to Notre Dame that you want to you're gonna play for championships and you're gonna play teams from all over the country and mm-hmm. i I think they just they kind of went away from that
2: mm-hmm
1: And when they joined the conference and combined with all the other things. And then part of it too, was the emergence of Florida state. Like once Florida state kind of broke that barrier with Charlie Ward in 93 combined with Dennis Erickson was running a program that like was just like Jimmy Johnson's teams played with attitude. Mm -hmm. Dennis Erickson's team was a renegade program. There's a difference.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Like the
1: Miami team in 88, they had some, sw- I mean, they had some attitudes. They had some swagger. They talked trash and all that, but they were still a disciplined, well coached football team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Dennis Erickson was like, I'm talking about the, you know, the, the uh, inmates running the asylum or whatever expression you want to use. It's like th- he had no control of that team, none. And they became a, like, when I think of the U in its greatness, it ain't that. Right. right. I didn't enjoy watching that version of Miami. I was like, this is just disrespecting the game. Now the Jimmy Johnson team that talked a ton of trash and even the 89, 90 teams that talked a ton of trash under Erickson before the Jimmy Johnson influence had been worked out of the program. I mean, now that I have respect for the 88, 89 Miami teams. I do. I have respect for those teams. And, and Dennis Erickson was, was, you know, part of, that because he was the head coach of the 89 team but that was still riding jimmy's coattails in my opinion uh it just and they would just lose games they had no business losing like getting embarrassed by alabama jimmy johnson's team never would have got embarrassed by alabama the way they got embarrassed by alabama if you remember that year was it 92 that they played alabama for the title and just got embarrassed by alabama i mean that was the game where uh lamar thomas who i couldn't stand was thinking he was running for a touchdown and George Teague just hawks him and rips the ball out of his hand. Like it was that game. They had John Copeland and and um Eric Curry at def- on the defensive line. You know, that team was that that Bama team was physical and Miami just thought they were just going to do what they always do, roll in there and whoop them and it didn't happen. And they got embarrassed. And I think that was the death of Miami, in my opinion, because people didn't refer that Miami team the way that they did the previous Miami teams, mm-hmm. right? They didn't fear them the way they did in you know in the eighties under Jimmy. I just don't think that they did. Um, Michael S also said fear with adding uh, O line, adding weight is they turn into a lumbering Wisconsin type line, power but reduced speed and agility. Fast D lines will beat them on edge plays. I mean, I think that's a legitimate fear that that doesn't happen, right? I, I don't want to dismiss that fear. It's just I think that Matt Bayless and Harry Heestand have earned the trust of okay they they know that right yeah and I think it's also about they have guys that are that big I think Mm -hmm. part of the thing that hurt Josh Lug last year is they slimmed him down and didn't Mm -hmm. let him play like that was coach Quinn's philosophy it was going to be lateral quickness outside zones counters we need to move we need to do this we're going to be pass pro we're going to be sleek that's what he wanted Mm -hmm. Harry Easton wants big boys I had an article today on our breakdown the line this year is going to weigh 0. .4 pounds bigger than what the 2017 line was. And and you know because it's just but it's it's not because there's one 340 pounder on the lineup. It's because it's 308 and above everywhere. But no one's bigger than 327. They're like your biggest guy that you that I would worry about that with lost 8 pounds. in yeah. Blake Fisher you know, Zeke Carell getting up to 308, that's a little bit concerning, but he's a center. So, you know, and he needed to add some weight, and he'll lose five of that during fall camp. Jared Patterson being up, to, being up to 310, totally fine with that. Josh Lugging up to 316, that's where he should have been anyway. I think he should be closer to 320 than he should have been to 310, like he was last year. And you and I talked before the season, before the rosters came out, I should say. That we thought Joe, Josh Alt would be around three fifteen because he's just got a monster frame and he's three seventeen, so he's in the wheelhouse of what I think his frame can carry. So Michael, I think that's a valid concern
3: mm. in
1: theory. Like I'm just not worried about it with this line because I don't. None of those weights to me, I looked at it and was like, "Whoa, that's a lot of weight for that guy to carry." I don't have right. those concerns in my opinion.
2: I think because the one other thing that you said, Brian, is that it's gonna be a very long offensive line, too. Right. So I think these body types can hold that type six, of Six seven, too. six eight
1: guys, exactly. right. Exactly. Well, their starting lineup is gonna be uh your your three biggest guys, weight wise, 327 is Blake Fisher, but he's six six. Joe yep. Walt is three seventeen, but he's over six, he's almost about six seven. Yep. Josh Log is three sixteen, he's over six seven. So it's not like he's three sixteen at six two, right? right? And and some of the videos that I've been sent and the pictures I've been sent by Vince, these guys don't look puffed up, meaning like no. bigger than they should be. They no. look like they're linemen carrying natural good weight. There's not yes. guts. There's not bellies. They're just bigger because oh. that's the philosophy that Harry Easton wants. So you're going to change your, your strength conditioning program to be more about explosiveness and short area power and finishing than it's going to be about conditioning and endurance and those kind of things.
2: All, all due respect to the Ohio State offensive line, but there are a couple players in that line that look like they should not be carrying as right. much weight as they hold, and an owner name does not look like that. And that's so. the that's the thing you brought up. Like, if I see
1: Emil Wagner next year at 310, I'm going to be worried. It's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. Like, yep. dude, that, that kid should not be carrying 310 at any point, much less this early. And that was the thing yeah. that you've brought up a lot with Nicholas Pettit-Ferrer is he yeah. should have been 295-300 and playing at that weight instead. Like, like Robert Hainsey did, or
2: like Notre was, Dame yeah.
1: never tried to pump up Robert Hainsey to be 315. Now they could have put over, they could have got him over 300 pounds if they wanted to, but mm-hmm. his body couldn't handle that. Jarrett Patterson at 310 does not look 310 because yeah. he's got a really thick, broad shoulders, you know, like thick lower body. He's got the frame to carry it. Same with Josh Lugg, same with Joe Walt, same with Blake Fisher. So Michael, in theory, you make a good point, but the Wisconsin guys were always pumped up to be that they mm-hmm. had a bunch of Mike McGlinchey types, mm-hmm. in my opinion, where those guys were going to lose weight once they got done playing football because they had to put that extra weight on them because they weren't naturally that big. Like I Joe think Thomas these guys are right. Yeah, right. Because exactly. how quickly did Joe Thomas get down to like 250, like within yeah. like a year of him being done playing football? Yeah. Whereas with some of these Notre Dame kids, it's going to be like when Quentin Nelson stops playing football. My concern with guys with this body type is I hope he doesn't put on weight. <laughs> when he's, he's not a, working out as much as he is, Cause he's, he's just such a naturally
2: big guy. Yeah. He's always going to be a big dude. Like, right. Just, yeah, exactly. I agree completely. Right
1: now, nowadays guys, you know, have much more sense of nutrition and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Quentin's still going to be working out as long as the de- devastating injuries. So, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be smart enough to know I got to change my diet and I can't eat like I used sure. to eat and that kind of thing. Uh, which maybe back in the day, guys didn't quite as have much of the knowledge of just that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so – but he's going to be a guy that's Alex Barr is always going to be big. Blake Fisher is always going to be big. Joe Walt, when he gets done playing football, is is still going to be big. He's going to be bigger than Mike McGlinchey. He's just bigger than – just naturally bigger than Mike McGlinchey. Whereas, as we've said, Mike McGlinchey is going to lose a lot of weight when he stopped playing football. Joe yep. Thomas immediately lost a lot of weight because, again, it was that puffed up. He was bigger than what his body necessarily was designed to be, although he never got to the point where he was bigger than he could handle. But as you said though, he was never that much more over 300 pounds as you've pointed out. If he'd have exactly. got up to 315, 320, that'd have been a problem and that's when a movement set in. So it's different for each kid, Michael, but I think it's a very fair it's a very fair thing to question right when you see yeah. when you see guys gaining 15 plus pounds in one off season, that's a concern. but I also think the other part is don't always assume that what they were listed at last year, which is where the weight gains are being based off of, is necessarily an accurate weight. Like, I don't think Michael Mayer was only 251 last year. I think he was bigger than that last year. So I don't mm-hmm. think he necessarily gained 15 pounds this offseason. I think he probably gained like eight or nine. I just, you know, I you know I think the 251 was kind of more closer to maybe what he was the year before. Notre Dame wasn't great at updating their rosters in the past, to be completely honest with you. And I think they're doing a better job of that now. So that's, that's my two cents on that one. Like, like Billy Shrouth did not, was not 274 in March and he's 302 now. <laughs> right. Right. He was 274 is when he, he visited like a year before that in high school. You know what I mean? So. Is he
2: 302? Wow. That's what he I was. Mean, I, roster, missed, yeah. I missed that one. Yeah. Wow. Nice. nice. Yeah.
1: Yep. That's good. Absolutely. That's good. That's
2: good. That's good weight, man. That's a real good weight.
1: Yeah, it is. And it, he added this quickly and he looks, he looks good. He's got a little bit of a, a gut that he's got to work off. So uh, that was actually good to see that. Because if he's 302 and he still hasn't completely reshaped his body, that's a that's a positive sign to me.
2: Yes. Yep. Uh,
1: and, and yes, Michael, we did have your two super chats, but they weren't quite up in the queue just yet. So but thank you for those questions. Here's a good one. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this is this is more for his career as opposed to 2022. Mm hmm. I see you are in with Irish luck with a super chat. Thank you. Do you think Tyler Buckner could be a Vince young type from run and throwing Vince was accurate, but
2: with a weird throwing motion. I mean, look, they're very different players, obviously from a physical perspective, just from a play style perspective, but could they have a similar impact? Yeah, it's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, to your point earlier, Brian, when we were talking about, you know, Tyler Buckner, that he needs to be the dude at points this season for them to be really successful. The one thing about Vince Young at Texas, especially his last year, I mean, you think about the USC game, for instance, right? When it was the biggest moment, he was a 100% at his best, and he put the team on his back. And it was a talented team, but, like, in the big moments, Vince Young was making the play. You know what I mean? So, that's – that's yes, I think that he could have a similar impact in that regard if he hits the ceiling. I do.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to not compare him to to Vince Young overall because I think they're very different players. They're very different type of athletes. And I always think it's really unfair to, to, to compare a kid that's thrown 30-some passes to a guy that I thought had one of the greatest individual seasons I've ever seen uh, in Vince Young in, in 2005. And he's pretty good in 04. I mean, his Rose Bowl performance against Michigan at the end of the 04, I think it was 04 season, that, that he it was, was just brilliant. But – like you said, right? I think the impact can be there. The run throw ability can be there. The dynamic thing where he can run for one fifty just as easily as he can throw for three hundred. Where I would say is, I think I think Vince was a a smooth runner. Uh, I would say I actually think Tyler is a more natural passer than Vince was though. Vince became a better passer. He had to learn that though. I think Tyler already had that. I mean, again, we're talking about a kid that threw for almost forty five hundred yards as just a junior in high school. So right. I, I think he has a little bit more of that, in my opinion.
2: Don't disagree. A little bit different of a runner as well. Vince was kind of like a glider, while yeah, kinda, I'd say was a little more explosive and right. like physical. You know, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. cover a lot
1: it, of ground. We didn't look like he was that fast, but you know,
2: Vince Young was... looked like a tight end man. Like he was just he just glided on you, though. It's like, oh, right. that guy's deceptively fast. You right. know, right.
1: Let's get to some more questions here. Uh, do you think the offensive, the Ohio State coaching staff, is nervous about the physicality and the lines that Notre Dame will have? I would say no, they're not nervous. I think they they nervous when I think nervous. I think is almost like a fear. Yeah. I don't think that's how their coaches operate. I think they're very they, they know that that's the that's the thing that could give them problems if they're not prepared for it and have answers for it. But I wouldn't call right. it a A nervousness Ryan I I think it's they know that that's the strength of this football team and they have to have an answer for it doesn't mean that they'll be able to come up with one you know like look, USC and NC State and Michigan State and all those teams knew they needed to stop Notre Dame's run game in 2017 didn't mean they could do it you know Uh, but they knew they got to do it
2: yeah nervousness definitely has a weird connotation to it because I mean I think that the Ohio State has a good staff I think you know I think they have good coaches there and I don't think that nervous is the right connotation for it because it's I mean they're competitors right like they're not going to just be like oh my god I can't believe Ohio uh, Notre Dame is going to come in and run the ball on us Like, I I, that's not what Jim Knowles is thinking in his mind right like they're competitors at their at their core so I agree with you I don't think nervousness is the right Right. observation but I would say I mean preparation wise I think it would be nearsighted not to expect that Notre Dame is going to be a much more physical team sure but you're not nervous about that it's just part of your preparation
1: one of the questions or one of the comments that was made during the show was, Well, how much of an impact can Harry Easton really have in his first game? And I, I think Huge. quite a bit. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like number one, I think the big thing that for, in regard to that comment is it depends on what the talent level that he's, he's going to have is, number one. Mm-hmm. And the talent level is really good. And then the second one is, is does he have an offensive coordinator that that believes in the things that he believes in? And the answer is, well, yeah, definitely, because Tommy Reese is the one that pursued Harry Easton to come back. And so uh, talent is there, mindset's there. Yeah, I think he can have an impact in in game one. And, And Notre Dame was a pretty mediocre run team in 2011. Uh, you know, they averaged, what was it, 160 yards per game. And then that year, if you remember, they had a couple games where they like puffed up their stats. And they went for 287 yeah. against Purdue, who wasn't good. They went for 266 against Air Force, 212 against Maryland. But they had three other games where they were under 100 yards, including two games they were under 60. They had 114-yard performance. They ran for 117 yards against South Florida. They were not a very good running team. Just like last year, they weren't a really good running team. They went out in 2012, and and they rushed for – it ended up being um, 189 yards per game. A lot of that was because they only rushed for like 30 against Alabama. They were over 200 going into that game, and they ran for at least 214 yards uh, six times that year in the regular season. Actually, I'm sorry, uh, seven times that year, including 293 yards and five touchdowns in the first game of the year against Navy. It was a decent team uh, that year. So, um, yeah, I think he can make an impact right away. I mean, I think that's the expectation that he makes an impact because the talent is there. And the other thing, too, is that 2012 offensive line that had 293 against Navy and 376 against Miami and 150 on a really good Stanford defense, uh, 270 against BYU, 215 on the road against Oklahoma, 231 against Pitt, 184 against Boston College, 221 against Wake Forest, and 222 against USC. That was with Mike Golick, a guard. Braxton Cave coming. was an okay player coming off of a major injury the year before, and Christian Lombard. And yeah. you were pretty good on the. You were really good on the left side with Chris Watt and Zach Martin. But but and, and look, Mike Golick Jr. played his butt off that year. I'm not trying to take a shot at Mike Golick Jr. But I think Mike Golick Jr. would tell you he's not in the same league as Blake Fisher and Joe Alt and Jarrett Patterson and guys like that. It's just a God given talent. He was a tough kid, smart kid who knew how to play the game, yeah. and he had some ability. All right. Christian Lombard is not Blake Fisher. Sure. Right. I mean, he's just not. So, uh, and with all due respect to Zach Martin, who's a great player, he wasn't six, three seventeen like Joe Walt is. So I think the talent across the board is way better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, and the difference too, is they were making a scheme change in 2012. They were a pin and pull team in 10 and 11, first two years under Brian Kelly. And then when they brought in Harry to replace Ed Warner, they switch from being a pin and pull team to a zoned counter team. They're not making a schematic adjustment this year. They'll they'll have some wrinkles, but like they'll probably run a little bit more duo this year, but they've been running duo. They're going to keep running the same concepts. They may add a buck sweep, but they've already had buck sweep in their system. So I think that's the other thing to factor in too, is he's not having to make the scheme change that he made in 2012. So yeah, I think he can definitely make a big difference in his first, first not just first year, but, but first game. I, I do believe that. Here's a good question from DC Irish one, two, one, three. Do you guys think our size on the defensive line can cause any problems? I thought that this was intent. This was the intent from a recruiting perspective to get more athleticism. So Ryan, I think, I think I would like for you to answer that twofold. Okay. Number one, number one is, can you, can you, do you think Notre Dame's size can cause problems for them? And what are the scenarios in which their size being what it is can cause problems for other people?
2: Sure. Yeah, I I think if I tackled the second part first, I mean, the quick answer is is that this defense, which was laid out by Marcus Freeman is going to be accentuated by an Al Golden is going to be an attack style defense and not attack style in the sense that there's going to be a lot of blitzing attack style in the sense that the defensive line is going to do a lot of one gap stuff, right? So Mm -hmm. they're going to be a penetration style team. So when you have those smaller frames, but those, that quickness that you have with the defensive line that you have, when you have the Howard crosses of the world, the Jason Adam, a that style of defense tackle. You can cause a lot of issues from a penetration perspective. You can kind of slip through cracks, create penetration, create tackle for loss numbers, do all that type of stuff. Right? So that's where I think the biggest plus is from the size perspective. The negative is, is that if those guys get caught in, let's say a down block, for instance, or a double team, You don't have as much to anchor as if you were a 300-plus pounder. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the negative, right? So the biggest negatives for me, again, is that in certain situations, you're going to get caught where your size is going to be a debilitating factor Mm -hmm. against certain things, double teams, down blocks, that type of thing. But with how Notre Dame wants to play defense up front, I think in a one-gap penetration-style team, that's where the size, but the added quickness and explosiveness is a big bonus in that regard.
1: Yep. Agree. Good answer to that. Uh, here's one at Irish High Town. Ryan, does Tyler Buckner have the potential to be in the conversation for the Heisman? I,
2: I think it's a little, we talked about this the other day, I think it's a little premature for 2022 to expect a redshirt freshman. And I know, again, I get, or a sophomore, I guess, whatever you want to call it. I understand that. We are dealing in a world where Bryce Young last year was in his second year won a Heisman. And
1: we've seen it a lot. I mean, it's, We have yeah. seen it.
2: It's been increased. I mean, Jameis Winston going back, Johnny Manziel. Like, we've seen it more regularly. There's no doubt. I will say, though, I just don't think that this offense is going to function where you're going to see gaudy passing numbers to the degree of some of those other guys that have kind of gone through. So I think that it's going to be – I think that Tyler Buckner has a chance to have a great season, Irish Hightown I just would not expect Heisman – first year right like mm-hmm. 2023 if everything go- is going the way and you're pro- you're kind of projecting and going about it the way that you think you can from a just momentum perspective then maybe 2023 is the heisman campaign for tyler Bunker. Mm-hmm. but i also don't think you need him to be a heisman trophy candidate for this team to be successful this year right.
1: so we have this question here and it's from mr sanders and the question is about size and the offensive yep. line and size. And the question is, is, does how does Notre Dame's size compare to the 2012 team? Mm-hmm. So I will answer that question. Notre Dame's left tackle going into 2017 or 2022 is 6'7", um, three, 317 pounds. Notre Dame's left tackle in 2012 was 6'4", 304. Notre Dame's left guard going into the 2022 season is 6'4 1⁄2", 310 pounds. Notre Dame's guard going into that the 2012 season was 6'3", 310, and Chris Watt is not 6'3". <laughs> Notre Dame's center going into that, you know he's not.
2: Um, I know he's not.
1: <laughs> Notre Dame's center going into the 2022 season is uh, six t- about 6'2", 308. Their center in uh, 2012 was 6'3", three, 304, similar. Notre Dame's right guard going into 2020 is over 6'7 and 316 pounds. Notre Dame's right guard in 2012 was six. Let's see, how tall was he? Six, three, 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame's starting right tackle going into 2022 is 6'6, 327. Notre Dame's right tackle going into the 2012 season was 6'5-309. So significantly bigger team, bigger team. Notre Dame's biggest offensive lineman in 2012 by weight was Chris Watt at 310. He would be tied for fourth on the current lineup.
2: That's crazy. So,
1: yeah, it's definitely a bigger line and, and a taller line, a thicker line, a I would argue more athletic line, too. So mm-hmm. now will it be as good as the 2012 line remains to be seen. but I expect it to, but the talent is certainly, certainly there. So -hmm. it's a very, very talented group to deal with. No, no doubt about it. All right. We have one last super chat here. I I think this is the last one I'm going to go kind of look through some of the others just to make sure I didn't miss any, but Travis asks, do you guys think that Notre Dame being a double digit dog to Ohio state is justified? And do you guys think Notre Dame, will be the favorite when Clemson comes to town. So, Ryan, we did talk about the first part uh, last week, but I do want you to address that. Do you think it's justified? Because I think the answer is
2: yes and no. Yeah, I I mean, I think, yeah, it's it's twofold for me. One, Notre Dame has not played great in bigger games recently, right, for the most part. So I understand why the line is what it is. But I also believe that you don't hold people to previous eras, right? Like if you're going to continue to do that to Brian Kelly-based teams – I get it because that's like kind of been his his crutch, his kryptonite while he was at Notre Dame, right? This is a brand-new coaching staff. I think the talent is not far off when you're just kind of looking like a full roster perspective. So I do think the 15.5 is not justified, if I'm being completely honest. I would rather have been somewhere between 7.5 to 9, right, as, as far as Ohio State being a favorite. And I would have just looked past it and been like, Notre Dame is a significant underdog in this game still. But I understand where the line's coming from. I think 15 and a half is not justified, though. Mm -hmm. I think it's ridiculous, if I'm being completely honest with you, right? The second question is just hard for me to answer, Travis, because I don't know what Clemson looks like going into that game. I don't know what Notre Dame looks like going into that game. Maybe –
1: Well, let me take – let me have you look at it like this, okay? we So we're making the comments we're making about Notre Dame because of how we view the two Notre Dame teams going into the season. You, you know, because sure. because you're saying that it's not justified based on what you expect Notre Dame to be. If yeah. Notre Dame, if Isaiah Foskey would have gone pro and Jared Patterson would have gone pro and Brandon Joseph doesn't transfer in and Cam Hart would have gone pro and Michael Mayer wasn't. Around, you know, we'd be like, yeah, I just hope that I actually hope they can keep it within 15 and a half. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's sure. kind of part of it. So yep. you're, we're, we're projecting into the game one. I know you don't know where they're going to be in November. But just projecting what you think that these teams will be this year, how about you try and answer it that way? Because I understand where you're coming from. Like, dude, that's like 10 games in the year, right? Like I don't – nine games, so go that way.
2: I'll say this, Brian, and I don't know if you'd agree or disagree with this. I think that there's a possibility that Notre Dame is favored in that game if Notre Dame is off to a solid start and Ohio State is a good team but not maybe quite as good as they have Mm -hmm. been in recent years, maybe a closer version, maybe a slightly better team than they were last year, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think it's possible. I'll say this, though. If Notre Dame does not beat Ohio State in the first game, then I think Clemson is going to be the favorite regardless. Because there's still going to be that stigma around the – pro. even if Notre Dame only has that one loss, they look fantastic leading up to the Clemson game, and let's say Clemson even has a loss or two. Even if Notre Dame has a better record, I still think Clemson will be favored even though it's at Notre Dame because I still think if they lose to Ohio State, there's going to be this perception. Notre Dame can't beat the good teams, right? right? They can't beat the big programs. So I do think it's kind of dependent upon – the Ohio state game, even more than the full Mm -hmm. resume to whether Notre Dame is favored, because I think there is still going to be a stigma around them.
1: So I I have a couple different takes on this, Ryan. Number one is, is the 15 and a half justified from the standpoint of what Notre Dame even was last year and what Ohio state was last year. If we're going to project to back to last year, then no, it's not justified because Ohio state played like what, three good teams all year, four good teams all year. They blew one out. They barely beat another, and and that beat Utah by, what, three? And then they got their butts kicked, almost cursed. They got their butts kicked in the other two, right? I know they only lost by a touchdown to Oregon. They got their butts kicked from the start of that game to the end of that game. That was never a game you actually thought Ohio State might actually win this. Same with Michigan. So I don't think their most recent team is a whole lot different than what Notre Dame's most recent team is, right? And so I think that it makes it a little bit unfair. I think the uh, unjustified, I think the fact that Notre Dame has been so bad in these games is where I understand it, right? So that's partly my yes and no. But at the end of the day is what is the spread meant to do? It's meant to create as much action on both sides as you can create. And there is no way in heck you would really have got action from betters on Notre Dame side if it was a seven-point spread. Right. You needed to get a big spread to get people to put down on, put action on Notre Dame. If it was a one touchdown spread or even an eight nine point spread, I think people would have been hammering Ohio State the whole time. I'm talking about the betters. I I I I think that 15 and a half also was enough to start getting Notre Dame fans to start saying, I'm putting money on that one. You know what I mean? On Notre Dame side. I think because you're you're gonna have a hard time getting betters to go on Notre Dame. And I think they needed to go something, and this is. A very very novice, like not I'm very like lay opinion on this because I'm not a gambler kind of guy, but I do think the percept I do know what the perception of Notre Dame is, however, and I think the perception of Notre Dame is such that any anything less than this spread would have made it very hard because if everybody bets on one side and that side wins, you don't really make a lot of money, correct? And if, if everybody bets on the other side and you lose and obviously people, so you, you, you lose a ton of money, right? If I'm, if I'm getting this correctly, your best way of making money is to try to create a spread in which you get as much action on as you can on both sides, then you're going to have a better chance at winning more money. And so uh, that's kind of how I view that one is again, a very like lay betting, not even betting one Oh one. Like I'm, I'm taking like, you know, junior high classes, but that's, that's so in that regard, I do think it's justified in that regard. But as far as just the matchup, I don't, yeah. I don't think, I mean, if that's we're fair. just talking, what should the spread be based on the matchup? I uh, has no business being 15 and a half, in my opinion, no that's business. I agree. Cause you can't give me the whole, well, I'm anticipating that, you know, it's really going to be a nine point game and Ohio state's going to return a fumble at the end as Notre Dame's trying to score. And that's not how how lines are created. It's because you think Ohio State is a two-plus touchdown better team than Notre Dame. That's mm-hmm. what you think. And I just – there's nothing about these two teams, to me, that should make anyone think that that's what it should be. Because, as I said, what what is what has Ohio State done in its most recent games against ranked opponents? Okay, they had a three-point win over a banged-up Utah team. They got uh-huh. curb-stomped by Michigan, beat Michigan State convincingly, got curb-stomped by Oregon, and got curb-stomped by Alabama. You know, so, I mean, they lost by 28 to Alabama last time they played. Notre Dame lost by, I say, 24 because I don't count the garbage touchdown at the end. I mean, if we're talking about how the game really played out, it was like a 24-point game. Very Mm -hmm. similar. So, I, I, you know, I don't agree that Notre Dame should – be a two-plus touchdown spread. There's also a conversation, like there's some arguing going on in the, in the chat between Notre Dame and Ohio State fans. And one of the Ohio State people, and I, I don't remember who it was, talked about how Ohio State had a better rush defense than Notre Dame did last year statistically. That is such a bad argument to make. Number one, take out the option team, number one, because <laughs> Notre Dame gave up 166 yards to Navy. It was like 60 yards below their, uh, actually, no, that was over 100 yards, I believe, below Navy season average last year. I believe. I'm going to go look at Navy's rushing total last year they were at 226 they were that was one of the worst seasons they've had that's 60 below their season average yeah despite the fact that was one of the worst navy rushing teams they've had in a long time so you throw that out the other thing too is you look at notre dame they played much better running teams than ohio state did and ohio state beat up on inferior opponents notre dame had a couple bad games i think you also look at a lot of the yards that notre dame gave up last year they gave up on scrambles not running A lot of the yards they gave up against Oklahoma State, scrambles. Most of the yards they gave up to uh, North Carolina in the game, they gave up 20 yards, run scrambles. They never had anybody run the ball down their throat the way that Oregon and Michigan did. Even Florida State, who ran for 264 yards, 80-plus yards of that were on an 80-plus yard touchdown, which Notre Dame stunted the wrong way in the first game of a new defensive coordinator. That is not what happened this next week against Oregon. You know, and so uh, it's just that's just that's a bad argument to make. I, I'm I'm sorry. There's there's no one that watched those two teams last year that would say, "Oh yeah, I'd take Ohio State's run defense over Notre Dame's." Nobody that watched those two teams. So, with all due respect, I just think that's a it's a bad argument to make. In my opinion, it's just just not a good argument to make. So, I did want to I did want to respond to that because I just thought that was. Uh, just not one I agreed with. I I don't want to go back to this answer too, Ryan. I, I want to address this one that you brought up earlier because I was trying to find some more, make sure I was going through the super chats to make sure I didn't miss any super chats. Mm-hmm. Does Tyler have the potential to be in the conversation for the Heisman? I, I understand where you're coming from, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. I'm going to just look at it from a, from exactly how it was written, not necessarily from a setting what the expectation should be, which is what I think you are rightly doing. My whole thing is, does he have the potential to be in the Heisman conversation? Yes, He does. On a very basic answering your question, does he have the potential? Yes, he does. Tyler Buckner has the potential, in my opinion, to go out next year and run, you know, pass for 3,000 yards, rush for 800 plus yards, have 40 plus touchdowns and lead another in the playoff. He has the potential to be that guy next year. And if he does that, and Notre Dame's a playoff team, guess what? He's in the Heisman conversation, in my opinion. Why? Because he's at Notre Dame. As I said two years ago, Ian Book finished like ninth in Heisman voting, and he threw for like barely over 2000 yards and had 15 passing touchdowns in 12 games. And he was in the Heisman conversation. And, and so if Tyler Buckner's like a 3000 plus yard guy, or if he goes like for 28 and a thousand, you know what I mean, Ryan? Like it doesn't have to, you know, however, is he in the conversation? Yeah. Will his, will his, will his impact be the same as what Bryce Young had the year before at Alabama? Probably not. Because the Heisman is not necessarily about, are you the third best player in college football? It's a perception thing. But if Tyler Buckner has a couple big spotlight games, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's the deal, Ryan. If he has a great game against Ohio State and then plays about three or four kind of mediocre-ish games in in between, but he still puts up numbers, Mm -hmm. and then he has a big spotlight game against USC, I mean, against Clemson, he's going to be in the Heisman conversation because they're not going to watch all those other games. The voters aren't going to watch all those other games. They're going to see... He played great in these two games and he had good numbers and Notre Dame is good. Right. So he'll be in there. Will it be justified? I think we can have a different conversation there, Mm -hmm. but even there, I think his talent is such that he could be there. Sure. But I don't think number one, I don't think the supporting cast is good enough for him to put up the monster numbers that other quarterbacks are going to put up to be in that conversation. But if Notre Dame went beats Ohio state, that's the other thing. That's the final piece it's got to include either a win over house state or a loss in which he puts up stupid numbers. Yeah. But I agree. would say if he puts up stupid numbers, I think they win. But if he puts up like 320 yards passing and hundred yards rushing, and they lose a shootout that looks a lot like the Rose bowl, then he could be in it as long as Notre Dame runs a table and he keeps playing really well. Mm-hmm. But that would be it. But again, I'm not predicting that. I think that's a lot to put on a first year player in a system that's not geared towards, like he's going to have to make a lot more plays than th- with his body than than Bryce Young made with his body, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Bryce Young was a great quarterback because of what he did with his mind, you know, as sure. much as he did what he did with his body. Tyler's going to have to do things with his mind as well, but they're going to count on him if this off if this team's going to be a playoff team to do things that Bryce Young could never dream of doing, because they're going to be about making dynamic plays with his body. So I think the, if he's doing that, and that's the final element, Ryan. His numbers won't put him in the conversation. I think mean, you and I both know if Notre Dame is undefeated or 11 and 1 with a, a shootout lost to Ohio State, I still believe that a lot of voters look at stats and highlights. Mm-hmm. And his numbers could be way away from Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, but none of them are going to have the highlight plays that Tyler Buckner is going to make. That's fair. Right. And to me, that's that if that combined with good numbers and Notre Dame being in the championship race is to me what could have him in that conversation. So is he have to. So it's about potential. If mm-hmm. you have said, Ryan, will Tyler Buckner be in the conversation for the Heisman? I'd say, no, it's too early for that. But because you said the word potential is why I changed my answer. So I kind of feel like, Ryan, you answered it from a will he type of yeah. mindset. Mm-hmm. And I totally am on board with you. I just wanted to give a kind of a counter argument, just to kind of say, you know, if we're just going to look at potential, I could see a scenario in which he's in that conversation. I'm just not predicting it. So he was yeah. "Oh, Driscoll said Tyler Bucker's been the Heisman conversation." Am I saying that?
2: That's what I heard. Right. That's what, I heard. I'm not
1: <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm just saying, is there potential for it? Sure, sure. What if I'd have told you before last year, hey, C.J. Stroud's going to be in New York at the end of the season? Would you be like, oh yeah, okay, it makes total sense?
2: If, if Brian Driscoll said it. I believe you. <laughs>
1: all right ryan and i gotta have a talk everybody we gotta get off the show (laughs) yeah so anyway um that's gonna do it for today's show everybody this was a long one but it didn't feel like it was this long because we covered so many different topics it was a lot of fun i want to thank all of you for uh being with us today great great participation great uh great great for the most part good conversation over there uh, Alan Watson. So three Heismans and three Natties, right, Ryan? See, this is how it goes. I'm, you guys are trying to turn me into Beano Cook. You guys, I'm going to tell you. Uh, but anyway, fun show today, everybody. And thank you all so much. Uh, appreciate you guys being in the chat today and uh, appreciate you listening to the show. As we always ask, give us a like, give us, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Six o'clock tonight, 6 p.m. Uh, obviously the IB Nation sports talk show will be on live with Sean Styers and Vince D'Addario. Uh, They're back on schedule this week. They're going to be talking about practice because they were both at practice this morning. So that's why we are not talking a lot about practice because we weren't there. We're going to let the people that were there talk about that. And they're going to talk about that tonight at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern on the Irish Breakdown uh, channel. So the IB Nation Sports Talk. And they'll obviously be back again tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock because we're going to talk about the defense and the stars that need to play like stars on defense. And that's going to lead to a lot of interesting conversation about specific games And, of course, talking Ohio State, talking Clemson, USC, it's going to make for a very, very interesting conversation. So I hope you all will join us for that. But be with our guys tonight, tonight, 6 o'clock. Sean Styers, Vince today are going to talk about practice and Notre Dame quarterbacks. Should be very, very interesting. So thank you all very much. Have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you all again very, very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.